If you are in Sydney or Melbourne, listen up because we have some exciting news for you. Listen. Yeah, listen. Saturday, July. (laughs) Melbourne, we are doing Do Go On The Quiz Show live one night only or one afternoon only. Part of the Replay Festival at Comedy Republic on Saturday, July 6th at 3pm. This is 2024. And then the next weekend in Sydney, we are going up for a live Do Go On podcast at the fabulous Ritz Cinema on Saturday, July 13th at 3pm. Also 2024. Yeah, 2024. Yeah. Listen. 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 And get tickets. Buy tickets. Tickets at Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is David Warnicky, and as always, I'm here with Jess Perkins and Matt Stewart. Hello, David. Hi. Hey, um, Dave. Hey, Jess. How good is it to be alive? Um, Jess, that really perked me right up. Uh, I was feeling flat, and then you just sang. When, as you sang, then my yeah. heart yeah. fluttered. Wow. In a good way. Oh, right. Yeah, it sounds it, like you should get that checked. Yeah, mine stopped actually. <gasps> oh my god, Dave it has since started. In a oh. good way. In a good way. You're a heart stopper. Thank you. Wow. And that you kill. Is that a good thing or? Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, great. Oh, I feel really good about my vibrato now. <laughs> oh, I love your vibrato. I just a bit of fun with my friends. Hey, Dave, how does this show work that we're doing? Uh, what we do here is we take it in turns to report on a topic often suggested to us by one of the listeners, go away, do a little bit of research, and then bring that back to the other two who have no idea what the topic's going to be about. Mm-hmm. And today, Jess, you've done the report. I have. We always start with a question to get us on the topic. Have you remembered a question, though? I have, and it's great. <clears throat> My Ooh. question is, in the 1981 song by Kim, by Kim Carnes, it mentions which Hollywood icon's famous Betty Davis. eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Betty Davis eyes, correct. Great work. Wow. This is a report about Betty Davis's eyes? No, not quite. It is a report... Um, about Kim Khan? Not about Kim Khan either, unfortunately. Her eyes? No. It is a topic suggested by Ian Haynes, and uh, the topic of this week is a feud spanning decades between two Hollywood icons. Jess and Dave? <laughs> Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. No. Yes. Cool. A, a lifelong feud. Ooh. Really? That's interesting. It's a little bit of fun. It is um, petty. It is 
kind of pathetic in petty, times. Petty or Betty, what is this? Oh, my God, that's good. God damn <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I write that down? Petty or Betty? More like Petty Davis eyes. <laughs> you can use that later. Thank you, yeah, yeah. I'll right. get that clean of me yeah. saying it. More like Moaning Crawford. <laughs> so it was a moaning. <laughs> you can use that too. Have Thank a lot of sex. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I meant. <laughs> Which is fine. We're okay with that. In uh, this year, 2022, we're not prudes. No, we're okay with... Joan Crawford having sex. Yeah, we're fine a with that. A lot. Let's not forget, I am on Team Prude. <laughs> That's true. Sorry, I forget. Before. I forget that you are Team Prude. Sorry, it's petty. It's petty Davis eyes. But it's the, you were you were listing things at this. Few oh days. yeah, it's Sorry. petty. It's pathetic in parts. It's uh, <laughs> great. It's real Hollywood diva shit. It's a lot of fun. Um, but I thought to start off, I would give a little bit of uh, background on the two Hollywood icons. Perfect. Um, you know, I mean, they had such such wild and and illustrious careers that they you could do a topic on both of them but it would just be like and then in this year they made another 20 films because you got to remember this is back in the day where they were just like churning out movies like it was nobody's business it was yeah. crazy so yeah i thought i'd give you a little bit of background on each of them and then kind of get into where things started to go a little sour. Okay. So born Lucille Faye Lesueur. Oh, which one's this going to be? Lucille Lesueur. Yep, Lucille Lesueur. That sounds like a Joan to that's me. Betty Dave, Joan. No, it's Betty, Joan. Joan. <laughs> that sounds a, that's a Betty Joan. Betty Joan. L- Lucille Lesueur is a great name. Lucille Lesueur. Betty Davis just sounds more made up. Actually, Lucille Lesueur sounds way more made and up. And you are not the first person to think that. Right. Yeah, it sounds like a nickname for a toilet. I've got to yeah. visit Lucille Lesueur. Yeah, I've got to go um, pay a visit to my friend Lucille. Um, she was born in San Antonio, Texas in, I think... 1906-ish. Some sources say 1904, others say 1908, somewhere in that time period. Okay. It's uh, a little contested. But some say, none say like 1980 or something. No, 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 no. Definitely was born before that, I think. Do you know these actors, Dave? I know them by name, but I don't know if I could tell you anything they were in. Yeah, uh, I think I'm pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you would recognise a photo of them, but... I feel like it was Joan Crawford, Joan Crawford? Was she someone, she have a famous daughter or something? No. Uh, in a way, but no, you might be thinking of like um, uh, like Liza Minnelli and her oh, mom yeah. and stuff like that, yeah. So, Maybe. yeah, that's why I thought I would do a bit, of a bit of a background on them. As a child, Crawford, who preferred the nickname Billy, well, she wasn't even Crawford then, Lesueur, went by Billy, enjoyed watching vaudeville acts perform on stage at her stepfather's theatre, the Ramsey Opera House. She had a pretty unstable and rocky childhood, to say the least. Her childhood dream was to be a dancer when she grew up, and one day, in an attempt to escape piano lessons, she leapt from the front porch of her home and cut her foot severely on a broken milk bottle. She had three surgeries to repair the damage, and for 18 months was unable to attend elementary school or continue dancing lessons. Wow. But did she have to continue piano lessons? She did have to continue the piano. No, that's awful. The one thing she didn't want to do. It's just not fair. That's a full-on... Foot injury, isn't it? That's a long time out for a cut. It must have been a big gash. I mean, she's a, she's a kid, and it's like the early 1900s. I don't right. know that their medicine would have been yeah. quite as good. All right, we tried chopping it off. Let's try putting it back on. <laughs> See what happens. We're holding it there. Yeah. They get a clamp just to clamp it <laughs> yeah. together huh? for a bit. Oh, sure, right. skin will grow. How does it feel? <laughs> that better? Working your toes. Can you do you a, do your little ballet or no? Okay. Um, in 1917, her stepfather Henry J. Casson was accused of embezzlement and was blacklisted in Lawton, the town in Oklahoma where they'd been living. So they moved to Kansas City, Missouri, and Lucille was sent to St. Agnes Academy, 
When her mother and stepfather separated and funds ran low, Lucille remained at the school as a work student, which meant she spent more time working than studying. Primarily, she spent her days cooking and cleaning. A work student? Yeah. It's sort of like, I guess, if there's not enough money to pay for tuition, then you've got to earn your keep. Jeez, that's an awful system. Isn't it? But they pay you an education. So you like clean a toilet. They're like, all right, chapter one of Jane Eyre. (laughs) And the other kids just get to be like, you're you're in the class with them and they're already like, oh, we respect you because you're working harder for your education than us. I'm sure they would. That's exactly how it would go. Yeah, Yeah. I assume. She later attended another school, Rockingham Academy, also as a working student. So her education level was pretty low, but nonetheless, she registered at Stevens College in Columbia, Missouri in 1922. She gave her year of birth as 1906, which would have made her 16, but she could have been 18 or 15 or right. somewhere in between. Or unborn. Or unborn. We still don't know. Whoa. Or undead. Whoa. Could be a vampire. Hello. Or a zombie. Which ones are the undead ones? Zombies. Uh. The vampires aren't dead. Yeah. Huh. Makes you think. It does make you think, Holy doesn't it? Holy shit. Whoa. Is your mind just blown? <laughs> I'm going to need a minute to recover from this. Um. So, yeah, she, she registers at college. She attends college for a couple of months and then withdrew, feeling like she wasn't quite ready for college. So she made a move. she was 14. She was, <laughs> she was a little girl. <laughs> I'm seven. <laughs> I think college? I'm ready for college. Yeah. She made a move towards her childhood dream and began dancing in the chorus of travelling reviews. And she was spotted by producer Jacob J. Schubert who put her in the chorus of his Broadway show, Innocent, in 1924. And how would this have sounded, Jess? Well, kid, <laughs> <laughs> I think you got what it takes. <laughs> Here, have a cigar. <laughs> I'm seven. <laughs> All right, have three cigars. <laughs> You're going to be a star, see? Is that what you wanted, Matthew? That's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> well, straight to Broadway is pretty... Pretty freaking good. Yeah, in the chorus. I would take that. I would take that <laughs> any day. I'd prefer that. Yeah. During this show, she met saxophone player James Welton, who she apparently married and lived with for several months, but she never mentioned this marriage in her later life, so it's unknown if the two were, in fact, married at all. Oh, what a slap in the face to Welton. How about the records they used to keep? Yeah. <laughs> yeah if None. You if you didn't speak about it, it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. There's no, wouldn't there be a... A wedding certificate or something? Maybe. Look, I don't know a lot about Kansas City, big city, mm. Kansas um, laws. Yeah. I'm a simple. <laughs> what she's basically she married in New York City in Broadway. Probably, yeah. Well, I'm a. I'm not. I'm not. Sure, I'm not I'm used a simple to this New York man. <laughs> I'm not used to these big city deals. You know, yeah. I'm a simple Southern lawyer. Yeah. That doesn't get much more Southern than Australia. That's right. Tell you. That doesn't. And you know, and law. You know, what is a lawyer? My God, yeah. Can I? Me, right? <laughs> you open your defence, <laughs> Your Honour. What is? A I lawyer? ask you, what is a lawyer? Surely, just a person standing in front of a judge saying things, and I'm am I not doing that now? <laughs> your Honour, I rest my <laughs> Mr. Stewart, you haven't said anything, and you're on trial for murder. <laughs> innocent, Your Honour. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. You. <laughs> you mispronounced innocent. <laughs> so she wanted more work than just dancing in the chorus And uh, so she goes off She gets herself a screen test To be in the films By the end of 1924 she was offered a contract with MGM For $75 a week Hell yeah $75 A week A week What is that in today's money like? Um, there's That'd be hundreds later, I guess 
uh, just like under a thousand, probably. That's not bad. Yeah. It's good money. Lucille's first role was as a body double for Norma Shearer, one of the MGM's most popular female stars at the time. Did you have to take a bullet for her or something? <laughs> and they oh. did not use prop bullets. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 75 bucks a week. We're going to have to shoot you at least once a week. <laughs> Were you in? Sorry? Great. She had a few roles over the next year or so, some uncredited, and the head of MGM publicity, Pete Smith, recognised that Lucille had the potential to be a big star. You're going to be a star, kid. <laughs> People keep telling her that. But he felt that her name, Lucille Lesueur, sounded fake. <laughs> Not to mention, it reminded him of a sewer. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Where's he getting that from? I feel like you could just tweak it. I would have just tweaked it. But yeah, it does sound pretty fake. Lucille Lesueur. It's also quite Lucille hard to say. Lucille Lefleur or something? Yeah, Lucille Levon. Oh, Jesus, that's saying, good. Yeah, that's, and these are the first things we thought of. <laughs> yeah, keep you, so 25 you're saying, minutes. You're saying keep Lucille, though. Yeah. I like it. And so, like, put yourself in his shoes back in the day. You've got this person, this actress that you're like, I think you've got what it takes to be a star. And by that, I mean she's beautiful. And that's not that, that's not me diminishing her talents just to her look. That is definitely the view of the time it was like she's gorgeous we got to get her in some movies right so what do you do then if you want to come up with a new name for for this actress that you represent? oh you look at things in the room okay pot plant ceiling That's- oh okay oh i've heard potty's gonna be a big star potty <laughs> oh potty ceiling potty c <laughs> i don't maybe pull out the newspaper okay you look at a couple first two names you see okay well, you in the right kind of ballpark with newspaper. What he did was he organised a contest in Movie Weekly. Oh, <laughs> renamed Lucille Lesueur. Well, the contest was called Name the Star. Oh wow, and she got uh, Mick actor Mick actor face. <laughs> Sadly, it was binding. That and- does sound like a. Yeah, that sounds like a silly way to do it, especially when you're like, this sounds fake. Let's publicly come up with a fake name. Exactly. Surely you just quietly do it. Yeah. It's a bit uh, bit odd, but readers of the magazine got to suggest and then select her new stage name, and the winning name was Joan Arden. Oh. But then it turned out there was already a Joan Arden, oh. so they went with Crawford. Was that voted on in any way? Or they just went, oh, f- <laughs> fuck it, Crawford. Oh, we'll keep Joan, obviously, the coolest name there was, is. They looked up and there was a poster of Shane Crawford, the old Hawthorne player. Like <laughs> Crawford. That'll do. Now oh. that's a strong name. <laughs> So uh, I saw. I don't know if this is real, but I saw a a tweet saying uh, showing the results of a popular vote for a, uh, it was like a frog drawing competition, and the set the runner up was this beautifully drawn frog, and the first one was just like a a stick figure frog, <laughs> and and the tweet said something like just underlining the fact that this was a popularly <laughs> voted on award. Everyone's just like, yeah. The stick frog. So it's the kind of thing that could definitely be bullshit, but, uh, of course. you know, funny either way. It's a bit okay? of fun. A bit of fun either way. <laughs> so with the new name, she was ready to be famous and was a little frustrated at the slow rate her career was progressing. So she took it into her own hands and went on a bit of a self-promotion campaign. She started attending uh, events around Hollywood, dances, often winning dance competitions. Whoa. Um, and there's a quote that's used a lot from MGM screenwriter Frederica Sagomas, who recalled, no one decided to make Joan Crawford a star. Joan Crawford became a star because Joan Crawford decided to become a star. So it sounds like someone did decide yeah. it was her. 
No one decided. No one outside of Joan Crawford. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's not as cool a phrase, is it? Yeah, it's not. That's it? a good quote. So she's really working for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like networking and she's she's hustling. Um, her networking efforts worked and she was cast in the 1925 film Sally, Irene and Mary, which is where she first really caught the audience's attention. Did you play Sally, Irene or Mary? All three. Oh, wow. No, no, that's a me, myself and Irene. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> Spin off. Yeah, it's, I always love hearing old movie names and oh. just remembering they were all available back then. Yeah. You could have had anything. There's some pretty fun ones in this. She had several more roles over the next few years and played the romantic lead alongside many of MGM's top male stars. She learned a lot from her colleagues as well, according to um, this movie website I found, wikipedia.org. Fantastic. It said she stated that she learned more about acting from watching Lon Chaney Sr. work than from anyone else in her career. And this is a quote from her. It was then, she said, I became aware for the first time of the difference between standing in front of a camera and acting. <laughs> first time she was like, okay. Yeah, those first few movies, she was not any good. She was just standing still. Over here. Okay. Action. What does that mean, action? What? Something going to happen? Why are you all looking at me? Who are you? What? We met backstage and you had a different name. I'm so confused. Why are you saying these funny things what? to me? What the heck? You had a different name. Your name is John. What? Why are you calling me Scarlet? What? That's not my name. My name is John. Well, it's Lucille. <laughs> and it was Joan Arden for a little while. But there's another Joan Arden. Do you know her? <laughs> there's a truck over there with snacks. They're giving out lunch to people. She's just freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> and then she finally understands what acting is. Yeah, someone whispered in her ear. Hey, Joan. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. That script that we handed you, you got to remember those little bits. Oh! oh. That sounds easy enough. <laughs> Became one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. Can you believe it? Uh, <laughs> it was her role as Diana Medford in the 1928 silent drama Our Dancing Daughters, which catapulted her to stardom. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> The role helped her reputation as a symbol of modern 1920s-style femininity. Um, from Wikipedia again, a stream of hits following Our Dancing Daughters, including two more flapper-themed movies in which Crawford embodied for her legion of fans, many of whom were women, an idealised vision of the free-spirited all-American girl. So she's become a real it girl. She's the the Kirsten Dunst of the early two thousands, if you will. Now I understand. So if, if Bring It On was being cast, yeah, it would in be Joan Crawford. Yeah, okay. Joan Crawford. Fuck, I want to watch Bring It On again. I'm gonna bring it. I'm gonna bring it. You gotta bring it. I'm gonna watch it, and you I'm got... gonna bring it. It's brought. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's brung. Crawford had the foresight that silent movies would one day be a thing of the past, and she was aware that her southern accent might hinder her career opportunities. So she tirelessly practiced diction and elocution, locking herself in her room with newspapers, magazines, and books to read aloud. When she came to a word she didn't know, she'd look it up in the dictionary and repeat it over and over and over again until she had it right. And this really paid off. After the release of The Jazz Singer in 1927, the first feature-length film with some audible dialogue. <laughs> oh, wow, I love the sound. It, it adds so much to the film. Well, it was just a bit of scatting. <laughs> no, not scat. Oh, sorry. <laughs> What's scatting? All right, no, I'm, I'm Is that confused. the one with trumpets? <laughs> 
In a way. In a way. <laughs> um, so after the jazz singer, sound films became all the rage. The transition from silent to sound caused panic for many, if not all, involved in the film industry. Many silent film stars found themselves unemployable because of their undesirable voices. What do you mean? I can't be in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and hard to understand accents. You can play Mickey Mouse, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, simply because they just refuse to make the transition to talkies. I will never speak <laughs> on camera. It's it w- a fad. It's a fad. It's a it fad. won't last. People like the sound of silence. <laughs> <laughs> Many studios and stars avoided making the transition for as long as possible, especially MGM, who was one of the last major studios to switch over to sound. Crawford made a successful transition to talkies with her first starring role in the all-talking feature-length film <laughs> Untamed in 1929. All talking, all walking. <laughs> all gajorping and lawping. Is that anything? <laughs> <laughs> Untamed. I love it. That's the tagline of Untamed. Is that anything? <laughs> oh, are you still writing that down? <sighs> Um, one critic noted that while Crawford seemed nervous at making the transition to sound, she had become one of the most popular actresses in the world. Whoa. Whoa. She's a big star. Meanwhile, over to our other, uh, you know, uh, top, <laughs> our other character. Subject is what I was saying. Okay. Mm-hmm. Character. Bear. <laughs> our other bear. <laughs> our other bear. Meanwhile, Ruth Elizabeth Davis, nicknamed from early childhood as Betty, which was B E W T Y then. S- sounds like the more made up name of Betty the Davis? Joan Crawford just sounds like a you know, like a real boring name. Betty boring. Davis somehow feels made up. Does it? <laughs> Betty <laughs> Davis. But maybe it's just because I know Betty Davis is like a superstar name. Yeah, but mm. like because you know, you think her name would just be Elizabeth Davis. Mm. Ruth that, Elizabeth Davis. Such a that's such a plain name. Isn't yeah, it? And that's Betty true. is a shortening of Elizabeth, which is her middle name. All right, you've got me. All right. You caught me in a lie. <laughs> <laughs> huh? I was also, I think I was thinking of uh, Joan Collins before. Mm. Who. Mm. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, when you said 1906, I'm like, wow, she lived into my lifetime, but she probably didn't. Or maybe she did, I guess. Mm. No. I mean, of course, my lifetime has many far surpassed that. <laughs> Canonically, yeah. yes, you're as old as the wind. Um, I I'm a little older than the wind. I remember the day <laughs> the wind was born. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow, what was it like before wind? I was very still. Yeah, wow. been very quite quiet. Still. Yeah, but then when uh, wind's mum, yeah, <laughs> pushed it out. Yeah, I pushed first out the queef. Wind. Yeah, the very first queef. <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful thing. And thus the wind was born. And we thank. <laughs> I've never seen Dave look like that. I've never seen Dave's regret face at something oh, you've no. said. It's great. It is so great. Are you jealous you didn't come up with that? Yeah, I'm going stupid, stupid. Dave, Idiot. For the listeners, Dave had his head in his hands. Yeah. He was sort of pinching the bridge of his nose. <laughs> he looked in distress. Yeah. He was pained. He hated it. Walk us through what you were feeling there, Dave. <laughs> I don't know. It just stopped stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. It absolutely stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. The wind was queefed out. Oh, dearie me. (laughs) (laughs) It made me laugh. It really did. It just caught me by surprise in the best possible way. If that was what you look like when you're laughing, I've never seen you laugh before. Yeah, I don't know what we've seen. 
You shocked me. You shocked me. I think oh, I think you could just tell him the truth. And no, then you hated it and you were no. disappointed. I'm not disappointed. I'm not disappointed. Not disappointed. Just mad. Yeah. Yeah. Just thinking oh, I'm gonna have to tell Jess to edit that out. Yeah. I'm gonna have to we'll have to have a an HR meeting about that. Yeah. You can't say queef, mate. <laughs> <laughs> we have two rules. No C words, no Q words. All right. All right, All right mate. Okay, Betty Davis. I'm queuing out the C right now. (laughs) (laughs) Is what Wynn's mum said. I'm grabbing my nose again. (laughs) (laughs) So people call her Betty her whole life. Betty, yes, but with a Y. That's important. It's not that important. Um, She was born in April of 1908 in Lowell, Massachusetts. Right. Is it? Does Joan lie about her age so she can be younger than Betty? (sighs) It's it's maybe possible. Yeah. Her parents separated in 1915 and her mother moved to New York, leaving Betty to attend a boarding school, Cushing Academy, in Ashburnham, Massachusetts. Sounds fun, Cushing Academy. That sounds nice. Mm. It does sound nice. I don't think she was a working student. I think she was just a student there. Okay. So that's nice. Oh, I'm already on board with uh, the Cushing, first one. Cush- Joan. Joan. <laughs> okay. I'm taking side daily. Dave, who are you? Who's side Fine, you I'll on? take Betty. Yeah, probably a good call. Big fan. Um, <laughs> 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 no, that's not... Nobody is, uh, is. Nobody is. <laughs> nobody comes off too well. No, nobody is like the clear villain, right? Or clear winner. But I sort of, I kind of side with one of them more than the other. But we'll see. I wonder which one. <laughs> <laughs> when she was seventeen, Betty, who by now had changed the spelling of her name to B double T E, but still Betty. Is that for? Is that for a reason? Well, it was out? just based off a novel by a French author. There was a, I think, a character with a Betty with an E. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which was probably like Bet or something. It would have been something mm. in French. It wouldn't have been Betty, but she's I like, also, I'll just take that. I have heard people pronounce it as Bet Davis before, so they're wrong when they're saying that. Uh, I And you know what? I'm basing Betty Davis off the song. Yes, it is Betty Davis. I'm sure it's it? Betty Davis. Especially if, as a child, she was B double T Y. She's That's got Bet Davis eyes. Doesn't work. Yeah. Why would they lie to us through song? Yeah. Kim wouldn't do that. Kim Carnes wouldn't do that. Kim wouldn't do that. Kim would never do that. Kim would never do that to us. How dare you, Dave? She I know, a one-hit wonder, Kim Carnes? Hmm? She a one-hit wonder? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't like, know. Maybe. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to look, I had to look up who sang the song before, so yeah. I'm guessing probably. I'm so sorry, Jess. Please do go on. No, I'm... Ne- hey, never apologise. Well, sometimes you should apologise. So, yeah, she's 17 and Betty saw a production of Enric Ibsen's The Wild Duck starring Blanche Yerka and Peg Entwistle. <gasps> From the Hollywood Sign yes. episode. Yes. Did you wow. not remember that? Because you did that episode. Yes, no, I absolutely remember the, yeah. the name, but I was thinking, where's that from? Where's that from? Peg yes. Entwistle. We talked about on our web series. Yeah. So you can watch the Hollywood uh Hollywood sign report, but... Well, Davis later recalled, the reason I wanted to go into theatre was because of an actress named Peg Entwistle. Right. Wow. She was really inspired by her, which is kind of crazy because Peg Entwistle was like 17 when she appeared in this play. So they're the sa- roughly the same age. Yeah. So it's kind of cool that she was such an inspiration to someone her own age. Very cool. In fact, after a few years of small roles, often in the chorus, in 1929, Davis was chosen by Blanche Yerker to play Hedwig, the character she had seen Entwistle play in The Wild Duck. So she's inspired by Peg Peg Entwistle and a few years later is playing the same role. It's kind of cool. Right. And things Sally didn't work out too well for Peggy Entwistle, did they? No, that's right. No, she, yeah, because she filmed some, 
lesbian love scenes or something, and then they all got cut out of the film. Or yeah, anyway, you can listen to that episode. But yeah, I think that or something like that. She kind of she made the transition to film, and in, back in the day, it wasn't really quite the done thing, was it? Although all of these actors do it. So yeah, I'm not really she was sure. sort of blacklisted or something. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've only got very vague memories. Me too. We should go watch that Which web is, series because it's a fantastic oh, series. Oh, fantastic. Actor Award nominated. And we look beautiful in it. Oh, yeah. Evan so made young, sure so of that. Hot. So young, so fresh. Didn't know a pandemic was coming. No. Oh, so beautiful. Um, so she, uh, uh, Betty made her Broadway debut that same year in Broken Dishes and Solid South, two separate <laughs> plays. Broken Dishes, that's a good one. Okay, and Solid, solid South. Mm-hmm. Mm. So after some theatre success, she moved to Hollywood in 1930. Unlike Joan Crawford, Betty's start in Hollywood was a little slower and marked by some early disappointments. She failed her first screen test, but was used in... Failed. She failed it. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of here. Yuck. They put the floor, just drops and you just go into like a a bin. (laughs) Just with all the other uggos. Um, But she was was hired essentially to to, uh, be used in other people's screen tests. For Universal Studios. So other actors would come in for screen tests and she would sort of act alongside them. But off screen. Yeah. We don't not we don't want to see you. Yuck. In fact, we don't want to really hear you. Just be quite quiet. And just say your lines. <laughs> um, after another failed screen test, the head of Universal Studios was about to terminate her employment. But cinematographer Carl Frund Freund Frund told That's him That's a long surname. <laughs> Freund Frund Frund. There's a different time, man. I like it. They're different names. Hyphenated or Double half. Is that a stage cinematography? I just had to write write it out phonetically. Right. This is all one. It's just a mashing of the keyboard. Um, He told the head of Universal that she had lovely eyes and would be a good fit for bad sisters. Wow. I heard he said that she had Betty Davis eyes. Well, they came to be known that later. Yeah, he he, He he coined that term. (laughs) He said, and and she said, whoa, that's my name. And he said, what? What? (laughs) That's your What? what? That's your what? That's your what? <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> Betty Davis eyes. So were they looking for someone with hot eyes for this movie? Yeah, hot eyes. That was what the script said. She had red eyes, so they were hot. Um, so yeah, Bad Sisters, 1931, was uh, her film debut. The film ended up being a flop, and her next film role was so small it gained little to no attention. After another year and six unsuccessful films, she was dumped by Universal Studios, who chose not to renew her contract. So she's having a bit of a rougher time. With no prospects and a couple of years of flops under her belt, she was considering moving to New York, back to the theatre. A couple of years of flops under her belt. <laughs> yes. What a beautiful, it's beautifully put. Thank you. Very vivid. Thank you. Dave's I'm, got I'm a, a couple writer. of years of flops under yeah, his belt yeah. as well. Right now. Because of Dave's failed movie career. Mm, I'm thinking of moving back to New York. It's not very nice of you to bring that up all the time, that he's a failure. He's doing his best. He's doing his best. That's right. It's not good. No, his best isn't good but enough. But it's his no, best. Exactly. <laughs> He's failed a few screen tests. Yeah. That one time I auditioned for a Lee Winnell Hollywood movie. Did and you? Did not get the part. Which movie was it? That one where... um Robots and stuff? Yeah, robots and stuff. And they oh, filmed it down yeah. like a Melbourne highways and stuff. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, what's it called? What's it called? That was good. Good movie. You enjoyed that? Yeah, right. I liked it. Which thing didn't you get? Do you think it would have been better? I think I'm playing the, the weird scientist. And it was like they wanted like a like a, you know an interesting looking person. <laughs> oh, that's they, right. And then they cast like some you know, hunk. Is it like, a, that's always, what you meant? That's 
No, we, sorry, we meant Hollywood interesting. <laughs> yeah, really, it's just so like that. <laughs> Not down at uh, no, Westfield <laughs> Shopping Centre okay, interesting. Okay, yeah. okay. You walk in, they're like, ah! Yeah, seriously, ah! <laughs> the screen test was failed. <laughs> no, thank you. So, yeah, she's she's like, well, maybe I'll go back to New York. But actor George Arliss chose her for the lead female role in the Warner Brothers picture, The Man Who Played God. Where were you, Arliss, when I was failing? Mm. You don't have beautiful eyes. They're pretty, Wait, they're what? Pretty good. You always bang on about how beautiful his eyes are. Don't you say that because I also bang on about how beautiful your eyes are. So, well, I don't know if that is relevant here, Your Honour. I'm just a humble southern lawyer. You're just a <laughs> humble... But I want to bring you... To your words. Yeah, I love I love both of your eyes. But they're not on the level of Betty Davis, is that what you're saying? No! I think that's fine. That's okay. Hmm. Is it, okay, Matt, let me, scale. Put it, let me put it to you this way. Has anybody written a song about your eyes? Well, we don't know what Kim Khan's been up to. <laughs> yeah. She's probably written songs about <laughs> plenty of eyes. She's got Matt Stewart eyes. I feel like... We've got nice eyes, but not Hollywood nice eyes. No, you know no, I mean? you, right. you haven't got Bradley Cooper peepers. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it, Dave's got a weird look, but not a Hollywood weird exactly. look. Exactly. Right. There's scales to these things. <laughs> That's right. You watch the A Team and tell me Bradley Cooper doesn't have some of the most beautiful eyes you've ever seen in your life. Okay. But do I have to watch the A Team? It's a great film. It's a lot of fun. Is it? Yeah. I watched an episode of this show and it, it was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, don't watch the show. Watch the movie. <laughs> okay. Matt watches, Liam Neeson. Matt watches exclusively Mark Wahlberg-based films now. <laughs> it just kept happening on the plane. <laughs> he just kept turning to me going, he's in, he's in it again. <laughs> I watched five films. Did you watch films. Uncharted? Was that one of them? Yes, that yeah, was one of them. That's a good plane movie. I watched five films uh-huh. and I didn't know he was in any of them. He was in four of them. <laughs> Everything that guy. It was so weird. I couldn't believe it. One time Dave was asleep when the fourth one came on, and I re- I almost woke him up <laughs> and told him, "Look at this! Look, he's here again." Let me just. I just want to double check one thing though. You didn't um you didn't do our plane tradition with Dave, did you? Of starting a movie at the same time? No, I didn't do that. Thank God, that's our thing. That's your thing. No, we, we did do the tradition of Matt cracking it when the announcements <laughs> come on. He hates it so much. So annoyed at when, you know. You just his whole, you watch his whole body just flop. He's like, fuck. <laughs> Two minutes into a thing. And of course, you know, we're on Etihad. So it comes in in English. It's 10 seconds later. Then the same announcement in Arabic. Yeah. And Matt's furious all over again. <laughs> I get it. Look, I get it. You but get it, it, but you hate it. I'm sort of playing it up a little bit now. But it is, I just don't, I just feel like it should be optional. Yeah. Unless it's life or death stuff. Yeah. Optional. I don't. Need to, <laughs> I don't you don't need to hear if they're just talking to the crew. Yeah, exactly. You know? Why are you pausing my movie to tell the crew that they can go sit down now? I don't care what altitude we're flying at. <laughs> I can see that on the information section. I can. I can also see what the local time is. Yeah. How long until arrival? I don't need to be reminded every. The four temperature hours. At, at at the destination. What am I going to do about it now? <laughs> It's irrelevant until five minutes before we land. I'm not there for 14 hours. Yeah. It'll probably change. I don't care. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Anyway, so she makes her her uh, lead female role in uh, The Man Who Played God in 1932. The Saturday Evening Post wrote, she is not only beautiful, but she bubbles with charm. Mm. And Warner Brothers signed her to a five-year contract. And she remained at the studio for the next 18 years. So finally... She's broken into Hollywood. She's getting a bit of recognition. She's got a contract. She's good. 
After more than 20 film roles, she earned her first critical acclaim for her role of Mildred Rogers in the 1934 film Of Human Bondage. Many actresses feared playing unsympathetic characters, and several had refused the role, but Davis viewed it as an opportunity to show the range of her acting skills. Her co-star, Leslie Howard, was initially dismissive of her, but as filming progressed, his attitude changed, and he subsequently spoke highly of her abilities. Which is nice of him, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> oh. Here we go. Oh, here we go. Another... The lady having a go at acting. Okay. She's going to stand in front of a camera. Oh, hang on a second. She's acting. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She's acting. She's acting. <laughs> she's doing it. That's just, so, yeah, I can see. She, so, she had to really fight for a career. Yeah. It's interesting because um, Joan was ha- having a fight for an education. Yeah. Where, but Betty was having a fight for a career. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I was. I found this so funny. I was listening to David Spade and Dana Carvey's podcast recently, and they were they what were a combo. Yeah, they were they were bemoaning that uh, uh, people don't want to work hard to get into Hollywood anymore. I like mainly it was mainly David Spade. I'm like David Spade, how hard did you work? And I was saying this to Dave, and you looked it up, and he he got SNL when he was like 22 or something. <laughs> yeah, he was casting SNL at 22. Oh, so uh, yeah, so sorry they don't struggle like you did back then. Yeah. So tough. I had two years of comedy clubs. Can you believe that? No one's willing to do that anymore. Yeah, it's, just, it's so. I always find it so funny when people get the rose-colored glasses mm. and it's Aldrin. And you're like, it's not not that much has changed in terms of how much younger people work. Yeah. You know, there's always going to be people who work harder than others and other things, Yeah, a bunch of reasons for this. Opportunities come up for some people. Casting are looking for something incredibly specific. <laughs> yeah, but not this specific apparently. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was really, it, they're not looking for a white, short, blonde man with floppy hair who plays the same character every time. Oh, it's tough for me. <laughs> yeah, just that, it's just, I mean, I, I, you know, I enjoy his work and stuff, but it was, uh, yeah, it's like yeah, pretty out of touch when you yeah. start talking like that. I don't want to work anymore, these kids these days. They're always trying to take the shortcuts. He wasn't, I don't think, I can't remember what he said. I had to turn it off. I was finding <laughs> it so frustrating. But, but yeah, imagine sort of like they're all just trying to make it via TikTok or whatever. It's like, yeah, you know, the people world's are, changed. People are using the things that they, you know what, at hand. Yeah, you didn't have TikTok. That's why you didn't use it. <laughs> know what I mean? You had TV and that was it. Now nobody watches TV. So shut up. Know what I mean? But he did it after he left SNL. I think it was months before he got a star role in a sitcom. Holy so. shit. Oh, my gosh. And in those months, he worked so hard. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I take everything back. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to be so disrespectful. <laughs> nah, good on him. Such a hard worker. Um, so, yeah, she's uh, she's uh, her co-star, Leslie Howard. He's speaking highly of her, as did critics. Life magazine published that she gave probably the best performance ever recorded on the screen by a U.S. actress. That's big. Best performance ever. Yeah. That is big. I can't, I'm, yeah, I'm just shocked. I know. So does this mean she built. We've never seen anything better. Really? Yep. What about the bad guy from Speed? Oh, Dennis Hopper. He's good. Incredible. He's good. That's true. Beats out that. Apparently. The hop. I don't make the rules, mate. Okay. No, no, that's fair. And it's also a US actress. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that sort of discounts him. Okay, mm. Mm. but right. if it didn't discount him, he wouldn't Dennis be discounted. Hopper, yes, Hopper. <laughs> <laughs> or probably something Steve Buscemi style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a guy! <laughs> what a guy! 
Um, from now, that guy's Hollywood interesting <laughs> looking. <laughs> uh, if they want to make a Young Machines, I will play that role. Yes, you would be great at that. For the listeners, Dave has occasionally been <laughs> likened to Steve Buscemi. Occasionally. The funniest one is when you got the nickname at uh, the project, I thought. Have you ever told that story on the pod? Surely. What? I don't, I, don't rec- I don't reckon I remember you saying it. Oh, second day on the project. Um, Which is a TV show in Australia. Oh, yeah, that I was working on in production. Brand new job. Brand new job. Fuck. Never worked in a TV office before. <laughs> one of the guys uh, who went on to be a great friend of mine came up to me and said, we've worked out who you look like. And I said, is it Steve Buscemi? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> it is actually. And then another guy goes overhears that and goes, he looks like Bechamel. And because they overheard, misheard that, let's call him Bechamel. Someone said, no, let's call him uh, Cheese Sauce. No, let's call him Cheese. And I was like, this will never stick. And then I worked there for six more years and that was my nickname. Cheese. Cheese. I reckon I only not- heard that recently. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, just to cheese. cheese. Around the office, I was Cheese. Are you happy with that nickname? Yeah, I, it really grew on me. Okay, oh yeah, that's yeah. nice. And then. I also like you do like cheese. I like cheese, and on Fridays they'd bring out. Uh, they used to bring out a cheese platter. Oh, that's nice. Drinks trolley would come around the cheese platter, and I'd hoe into the cheese. And a lot of people that started after that thought I was nicknamed cheese because of how enthusiastic <laughs> I was about cheese. I'd be like, "Ooh, blue, <laughs> blue." But uh, yeah, that the reason was yeah, someone had misheard. Bashimi is bechamel. bechamel. Fucking hell. It's quite a bad mishearing as yeah. well. Bechamel? What? Bechamel. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, growing, getting bigger, it all means the same thing. Squarespace (laughs) makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. And if you're worried about like, well, I don't know how to write stuff for a website and make myself look good, well, you can get help with the written content for your website with Squarespace AI. You can generate instant personalized results that highlight your brand identity you can explain what your site's about choose your tone enter what you need and bang you got some short and long form text baby so squarespace ai makes it easy to go live stand out and succeed online i'm so glad you had that bit because i thought it was pronounced squarespace ai (laughs) (laughs) anyway sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses or sell files your customers can download. I don't know if I'm hitting all these words as <laughs> intended, like PDFs, music, or ebooks. I would love to buy Matt's ebook. I'd like to buy Matt's course, and you you can do that. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Be more like Matt. Oh, one hundred one. <laughs> wow. How yeah. many? One, does it go to one hundred two? It goes all the way to one hundred two. <laughs> <laughs> You can customise everything with next-generation editing technology. You can create engaging lessons your audience will love and then set the price. You can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Matt, how much is it to be more like Matt 101? Oh, three mil. Wow. Wow. Like per month or? 
Yeah, USD. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash do go on. So her performance in Of Human Bondage is getting lots of really great praise. And from Wikipedia it says, when Davis was not nominated for an Academy Award for Of Human Bondage, the Hollywood Citizens News questioned the omission and Norma Shearer, herself a nominee, joined a campaign to have Davis nominated. Wow. Is it, it, this is the role that was the best of all time? Yeah. Yeah, so it feels like it should feels be like, nominated yeah. for that yeah, year. Yeah, it's amazing that it's not. This prompted an announcement from the Academy president, Howard uh, Estabrook, who said that under the circumstances, any voter may write on the ballot his or her personal choice for the winners. No. Thus allowing, for the only time in the Academy's history, the consideration of a candidate not officially nominated for an award. Incredible. Really strange. Just, uh, whatever, write whoever you want. Just write, okay, just write it on there. <laughs> I wish we could do that for, like, Prime Minister. And then yeah. we could make Tom Gleeson or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'd get behind that. He'd get it. He'd campaign. It'd be fun. Another tidbit I thought was interesting um, was this one about her first marriage. Davis's first marriage was to Harmon Oscar Nelson on August 18, 1932. Their marriage was scrutinised by the press. Here's $100 a week earnings, which is about $1,800 in 2020, compare, um, compared unfavourably with Davis's reported $1,000 a week, like eighteen grand. Davis addressed the issue in an interview, pointing out that many Hollywood wives earn more than their husbands, but the situation proved difficult for Nelson, who refused to allow Davis to purchase a house until he could afford to pay for it himself. Oh, my God, If mate. my partner wanted to just outright buy a house, I wouldn't be like, no, 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 no. Wait for I'll wait do it. Like, yeah. I'll do it. It's all right. No, no, no. I'd be like, go for it. You absolute fool. I'll buy the cushions. Yeah. <laughs> So he, yeah. But it's a different time. It's a different time. Um, but yeah, yeah, she's got lots of money, but don't worry. She's not allowed to spend it. Yeah, don't worry she about it. She can only spend what I spend. So actually uh, less than me. She spends $1 less than me per week. We're <laughs> living off my $100 wage, which is 1800 bucks. is pretty good. I think he's making all right money. Yeah, but she's, she's making, just making crazy She's money. making a lot more. Anyway, so a year after Of Human Bondage, she played a down-and-out troubled actress in Dangerous. So this is in 1935. E. Arnett Robertson wrote in Picture Post, I think Betty Davis would probably have been burned as a witch if she'd lived two or three hundred years ago. She gives the curious feeling of being charged with power, which can find no ordinary outlet. Right. Was she playing a witch in the movie? Absolutely not. Okay. I was going to say, I think think this man has mistaken a Hollywood movie, (laughs) a a character for a person's She was casting spells, though. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think I misheard before. So it was she... Was going to buy the house and her husband said no. No. Yeah. No, it was the husband was going to buy the house and she said no. No, no, no. She was, uh, he, her husband wouldn't allow her to buy a house because um, they, they had to wait until he could afford to buy the house, even though she's making yeah, right. 10, ten, ten times, times more than him. Yeah, that is a, a different time. Different time. We will sleep on the street until I can afford it. <laughs> she's yeah. like, I've got so much money. It's fine. I could buy a house outright, a nice yeah. one. I'm the breadwinner in this house, yeah. meaning I buy the bread. You get the rest. <laughs> you get the rest. Thank you. Love you. I cannot afford the macadamia spread. I'm so sorry. I love it. Please, and, please get it. And for I'm me. buying the cheapest bread we can possibly get. Oh, God, it's awful. If you want better bread, you're going to have to chip in. Yeah. yeah. If you could buy a separate bread that's good, at least I can tell people I, I'm the breadwinner. Yeah. That's I won the bread in a raffle. I'm taking the I can't afford real saying bread. very literally. <laughs> Um, 
So, yeah, for her performance in Dangerous, she received her first ever Academy Award nomination and win. Oh. Taking home the Best Actress Oscar that year. Um, By the way, she claims to have been the one to coin the nickname Oscar because its posterior resembled that of her husband, whose middle name was Oscar. Oh, I vaguely remember this from the Academy Award episode. Did we talk about it? The Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Science officially has a different version of the story and also no one ever called her husband Oscar so it right. is a bit confusing but yeah she's like interesting I do remember there being something about the ass yeah. looks like my husband's ass yeah <laughs> okay. that rings a vague bell <laughs> I find very it's episode funny. seven or something yeah, yeah it's a long time ago I don't remember shit <laughs> I don't remember anything I remember last week People tweet to us and they're like, ah, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I love it, but yeah, I'm, often too, ba- no. I'm often baffled. I'm baffled. Well, I'm not saying you don't love it. I'm love saying it. I love it even more. That's true. But I'll, I'll you love it quite that. a lot as well. Yeah, that's yeah. how much but I love, you love it. it more. But you win the Oscar for loving it the most. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, especially yeah. when we record ahead of time. Yeah, people message about something. I'm like, oh, I don't know what this is, but yeah, I love it. Yeah, people have been, um, and this is probably going back quite a while now because again, we are ahead. <laughs> But people have been uh, talking about how I said water in something. Oh, yeah, that was in and the I, Woodstock episode. I don't remember you water. Were, you were saying the American water and the British water. Water. <laughs> people, when we, what water. When Matt and I were in the UK, water. people were coming up to us saying water. Water. What? Water. Well, they, were, they thought we were waiters. Water. <laughs> yeah, they were snapping their fingers in our faces. Water. All right, At I first it, we I said we listen. don't work here in the end. We're a sparkling or still. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, we really got into it. We made a lot of tips. We're very And they're, very not, a, they're not a big tipping no, no. country, so that that's how good water. we were. Yeah. Okay, I should, I'll should. i go back and listen because well, I have no idea what they're talking about, water. but they're loving it. And I was water. Like, oh, yeah. Because they couldn't, water wasn't available at that Woodstock or something. Right. There was a reason for it. Okay. And you just started saying water. It was fun. <laughs> Water. What a fun person I am. Now we're all drinking water because we're talking about it. That's also quite hot in this room. So that brings us to the early 1930s. Both Joan Crawford and Betty Davis are two of the biggest names in Hollywood. One is already very established and the other is on the rise. Now you might think that these two peers could be friends. Of course. I'd like to think so. (laughs) Mm. But the first incident of tension between the two occurred in 1933. Davis had reached an exciting and pivotal moment in her career. The comedy X-Lady was going to be the first time her name would feature above the title. It would be Betty Davis in X-Lady. It's a big deal. Betty Davis is X-Lady. Is X-Lady. Superhero film? Yeah. yeah, yeah Whoa. Yeah. X-Ray vision, but a woman. Yeah. What? <laughs> it's crazy. All right, cancel the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, too, it's too much. Yeah, well, people, it's going to blow people's minds. Yeah. <laughs> she can't have X-Ray vision until I can have X-Ray vision. <laughs> Warner Brothers had planned an elaborate publicity campaign to really drive home Davis's new phase of stardom. Nothing could destroy this buzz and publicity. <laughs> that is, except for maybe news about a more established, more famous star. On the same day that Betty Davis's publicity campaign kicked off, Joan Crawford announced her divorce from Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Their marriage was very high profile. Douglas's parents were Hollywood royalty. And so the news of their split was... Big news, and it far overshadowed the publicity around Betty's new film. How dare she get divorced on the same day that I release a movie? I thought it was going to be like a calculated thing. Well, maybe it was. Maybe she's like, ah, I'll sacrifice this wedding for the... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she purposely, she's like, what's going to get their attention? We're going to have to make divorce. Sorry, Doug. 
<laughs> um, writings about X Lady were pushed to the review section of the New York Times, while they dedicated several pages to reporting on the divorce. Oh, the review section. Oh, that's basically death. <laughs> well, as a result of this publicity bust, X Lady was dropped from theaters after a week. Oh, uh, actually, killed the movie. Thanks to poor ticket sales. People just didn't know it was on. Yeah, it was just it was just completely destroyed. So Davis's anger was born. <laughs> But it was just the beginning. That was a small thing. You're right. Maybe it wasn't premeditated. How, how could it be? In 1935, Davis starred in the drama Dangerous and fell hard for her co-star, Franchot Tone. I've never, I didn't actually look up how to say his name. Fran, Franchot. 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 Tone. I had a similar thing recently because I watched uh, for Christmas, I watched Falling for Christmas, mm-hmm. a rom-com starring Lindsay Lohan. Mm-hmm. And I was so, so excited when I looked up the cast and the co-star's name was Chord Overstreet. <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out it's Chord. It's still bad. It, it took me, it took me I, I enjoyed that for a few days before I found it. I've been telling people. Chord. Chord. Uh, Do you remember me losing my mind recently about Ray Fiennes? And I'm like, it's Ralph. His name is Ralph Fiennes. Ralph. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, I get it. Yeah, Chord is fantastic. Chord is pretty bad. It's anyway. so yeah. Tar- terrible. Yeah, I think because it, it clearly says Chord, but I'm like, Chord's not a name. Yeah, <laughs> must it must be, be Chord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll try and salvage a name out of this. Chord. <laughs> With apologies to any Chords listening. Sorry, Chords. So Davis is in the film Dangerous, uh, and she falls head over heels for her co-star Franchet. I fell in love with Franchet professionally and privately, she said. Everything about him reflected his elegance from his name to his manners. Franchet Tone. But during the filming of Dangerous, Tone announced his engagement to Joan Crawford. No. What? She took her man. No. Um, From an article in Harper's Bazaar. He was madly in love with her, Davis said. They met each day for lunch. He would return to the set, his face covered in lipstick. He was honoured this great star was in love with him. I was jealous, of course. Crawford, meanwhile, is quoted as saying that Tone thought Betty was a good actress but never thought of her as a woman. Oh. As a woman? <laughs> I am um, So catty. So he's returning to set every day, face covered in lipstick. Makeup. Hair and makeup are freaking out. They're like, out. for fuck's sake. Tone, come on. Come on, man. Now i got to start again. i got to, got to keep continuity. Oh, that's a nightmare. <laughs> You're a pain in the ass. So, so far, it sounds like if she, if this is what's kicked it off, it doesn't feel like Joan's done anything wrong so far. Uh, stealing a man that Betty had dibs on? <laughs> yeah. Dibs are for real, man. <laughs> Not even recognising that Betty is a woman? <laughs> you can put dibs on people. Okay. And I nobody <laughs> else is allowed to have them. I didn't realise that. You oh, no, say- I should have learned that because in a recent uh, Brendan Fraser movie we watched for Phrasing the Bar, uh, the boy called dibs on a woman. Mm-hmm. Journey to the Centre of the Earth. The little boy. Yeah. Josh Bre- Hutchison. Brendan Fraser's nephew. I had, su- I had a crush on him in the Hunger Games era. Really? Did Big you call time. dibs? Big- oh, yeah, I called dibs. That's yeah. why he's alone forever yeah. until I'm ready for him. Yeah. <laughs> called dibs. Dibs. Um, in an interview like 50 years later, Betty Davis was still bitter about this. She took him from me, Davis allegedly told a, a reporter in 1987. I called dibs. <laughs> she- More like bitter, Davis. All right, you can use that later as well. I probably wasn't. What is this later you're talking about? Yeah. 
you know, when, when we get to the, the podcast, <laughs> she t- <laughs> we start recording. This is dress rehearsal. Yeah, this is a warm up. Come on. She did it coldly, deliberately, and with complete ruthlessness. Oh, what do you mean? Did she know that you liked him? Oh, my God. Guys, I, I, I need both of you to listen because I do not want to have to explain this again. Okay. Sorry, sorry. I'm Betty looking at you. called dibs. Oh, yeah, no, you sorry, did sorry. say that, yes. You did say that, sorry. Betty had a crush on a guy, didn't yeah. do anything about it, uh-huh. okay? Mm-hmm. She had a crush on him. She was yes. in love with him. Mm-hmm. Both professionally and emotionally. That's right. His n- name, elegant. Mm. Manners, <laughs> elegant. Joan swans in, takes him. That's against the girl code. Okay. Okay. Girls don't do that to one another. Well, the pro- that's the problem, though, isn't it, Betty? Because you're a girl. Joan is a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Does not see you as such. <laughs> what also stings is that Betty Davis won her first Oscar for her performance in Dangerous. No, it wasn't her first. Oh, yes, it was. Um, yet, once again, Crawford stole the attention and upstaged her because then there was the high-profile romance. Really? So has Joan won any Academy Awards yet? No. no. Betty, come on. You're doing pretty well in that respect. In fact, at the awards ceremony, Betty had assumed she wasn't going to win and uh, uh, wore a fairly plain navy blue dress, I think out of spite because she didn't want to go, but Jack Warner was making her go. But she won. And from that Harper's Bazaar article again, it says, when her name was read out, legend has it that Tone got up and embraced her while his now wife Crawford refused to budge and kept her back to Davis. After Tone called her out for being rude, Crawford supposedly turned to Davis and said with a sneer, dear Betty, what a lovely frock. (laughs) 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 I'm just so petty and so bitchy. I just won the award. Oh, what a nice frock. (laughs) Where where was this though? Was it this? Is at the Academy Awards. So, they they thought she should have gone up on stage, like everyone. Where where would she have congratulated her at the time? Surely it's just a quick were, thing, and they're walking up onto the stage. Yeah, true. But they would, probably would have been sitting at the same table, same it was table. the same film. I will defend Joan to the death. <laughs> well, I'm Team Betty, and that frock. You was haven't nice. been very Team Betty. I love her. <laughs> I've oh, okay. Dibs. Okay. Well, then I'm. I take that back then. <laughs> You love her. I'm sorry, I didn't realise you loved her. Sorry she's won the that. Academy Awards. She's clearly the better performer. Dave, your love language, is it sort of being a bit of a bitch? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's nagging. <laughs> they yeah, so they're very petty and it wasn't a long it wasn't long until their rivalry and hatred of each other was pretty well known in Hollywood. Love that. By the late 1930s, though, Crawford's popularity was declining. She co-starred opposite her husband, uh, Franchet Tone, for the seventh time. What an elegant name. Honestly, I don't even care if I'm saying it wrong. It and sounds it's probably like- a Franco or something, and I'm like, Franchet. It sounds like some <laughs> sort up, of a, I, I'm a, looking a, up. a tool, you know. Franchet Tone. Yeah, like Darl, a ranch, hand us the Franchet Tone, would you? Hand us the Franchet. Uh, the Tone. The yeah. Tone. Is- Can I get the Franchet Tone? And they're in seven movies together, you said. Yeah, incredible. Let's let's figure out how to say his name. Should I have done this before? Of no, course. it's funny to st- Franchet. Surely, F R A N C H O T. Yeah. Oh, his first name was. Oh, his name is actually Stanislas Pascal Franchet Tone. Holy shit! Uh, how do you say your name? How to pronounce Franchet Tone? Here we go. Francho. Francho Tone. Francho Tone. That sounds good. Can I keep calling him Franchet though? Yeah, for sure. Can we all agree it is, just for listeners, it is Francho, but I'm going to keep calling him Franchet. He doesn't come up that much more. It does sound a bit like a rapper though, the other pronunciation. Francho Tone. Francho Tone. (laughs) 
going home, for example. <laughs> no. Matt's pinching his nose. Oh, come on. Oh, all right, wind queef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt. No, hey, I thought this was a symbol of thinking it was really funny and good. <laughs> it just really hit me. Yes. Hey, I'm French O'Tone. And I'm... Going home. Going <laughs> You're like, I love that you're like a politician from the 80s doing a rap to get re-elected or something. That's what that sounds like. So she co-starred opposite her husband, Franchet, for the seventh time in The Bride Wall Red, 1937. The film was generally unfavourably reviewed by major critics. It also ran a financial loss, becoming one of MGM's biggest failures of the year. Ooh. Of the year, okay. Great. Uh, well, next year will be better. Yeah, next year. No, it wouldn't, though, because in May of 1938, Harry Brandt, president of the Independent Theatre Owners Association of America, published an open letter in the Independent Film Journal in which he referred to a number of big stars, including Greta Garbo, Norma Shearer, John Barrymore, Catherine Hepburn, Fred Astaire and Joan Crawford as box office poison. Whoa. Essentially, he said that while these stars had unquestioned dramatic abilities, their high salaries did not reflect in their ticket sales, thus hurting the movie exhibitors involved. It's sort of a trickle-down thing. The actors are getting paid so much money, it's costing so much money to make the film because of those high salaries, then it's costing theatres more to be able to put the film on, but ticket sales aren't high enough to actually cover those costs. So he says the combined salaries of these stars takes millions out of the industry and millions out of the box office. We're not against the star system, mind you, but we don't think it should dominate the production of pictures. Um, I love it. If that's taking it out of the industry by paying actors, when's it not going out of the industry? Surely it's always going to somebody. Yeah, I guess so. But, like, yeah, when the when the actors have such... High-paying contracts. Right, they're getting they're getting like proportionally so much. Yeah, right. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't realize that was. I thought they were always quite poorly paid until relatively recently. But no, it seems like these guys were yeah getting really well paid. I've and heard of a bunch of those. Well, Greta Garbo. Yeah, I just picked out the ones you might have heard of. Fred Astaire. Yep. Joan Crawford. You heard of Joan, Joan Crawford? Crawford. Mm-hmm. Norma Shears. John Barrymore. No, I don't know John Barrymore. Do you know Drew Barrymore? Yes, but that's not John. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise that Drew Barrymore was like a, a product of a, a Hollywood family. I think they nearly all are. Yeah, true. It's like, I don't think you can get work over there unless pretty much you were born into it. Yeah, but if you ask them, they've had to work way harder. <laughs> so that's the whole thing going around at the moment of, oh, no, you got to work even harder. And like, I, I understand what you're saying, but also shut up. <laughs> you talking to me? You personally. Is David Spade's birth name Barrymore? <laughs> <laughs> Crawford had several roles over the next couple of years. Some earned her praise from critics, but nearly all were box office flops. Meanwhile, by this time, Betty Davis was Warner Brothers' most profitable star, and she was given the most important of their female leading roles. She had her pick, really. Her image was considered with more care. Although she continued to play character roles, she was often filmed in close-ups that emphasised her distinctive eyes. (laughs) They're like, "Mm mm-hmm, you can still be playing, you know, gritty characters, but you got to look hot mm-hmm. while you're doing it. Like 90 minutes of eye shots. Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah, she played a lot of cat burglars wearing balaclavas. <laughs> <laughs> no one knew what her face looked like. But those eyes. Oh, those eyes. The 1940 film All This and Heaven 2. <laughs> Is that two movies? No. All This, comma, and Heaven 2. <laughs> That's great. Oh, Oxford, comma. Was the most financially successful film of Davis's career to that point. So she's she's on the rise. 
Both women had had fascinating and dramatic lives over the next few years. It's all very old Hollywood, and I'm mentioning these things because they're relevant later. In 1940, Joan Crawford adopted her first child, a daughter, and because she was single, California law prevented her from adopting within the state, so she arranged the adoption through an agency in Vegas. The child was temporarily called Joan until Crawford changed her name to Christina, Crawford then married actor Philip Terry on July 21, 1942, oh, after a six-month courtship. What happened to our mate? Yeah. She's dropping husbands. Tone. He's gone. Tone's gone. So who's the new guy? Uh, Philip. <laughs> Together, the couple adopted a son uh, who they named Christopher, but his birth mother reclaimed the child. So then they adopted another boy who they named Philip Terry Jr. And when their marriage ended in 1946... Crawford changed that child's name to Christopher Crawford. What? It's so baffling. Was there already a Christopher? No. So they adopted a son who they named him Christopher, and then that child got taken back. Right. So then they were like, they adopted another kid named him Philip after their dad. (laughs) Then the parents split up. So mum's like, well, you're not named after him anymore. You're named after your your brother that I had for a while. Yeah. Isn't that baffling? Well, and how old would the kid have been? Like old enough that you can't rename a child. Yeah, know? I don't know like, when they like one. It's Sorry. a bit strange. We're rebranding. Sorry, Phil. We're gonna re- we're, <laughs> we're rebranding. Your name is Christopher, You're Christopher now. now. Christopher now. Okay. I okay. don't know how old he is. I think but he was young. In nineteen forty three, Joan Crawford signed a three movie deal with Warner Brothers for five hundred thousand dollars. Whoa. Half a million bucks. By the- Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on a second. <laughs> By that time, Betty Davis had been with Warner Brothers for a decade and Crawford demanded a dressing room adjacent to Davis's. Apparently she sent gifts and flowers to Betty's dressing room, all of which were returned. She's oh, so got- she's trying to make nice. Potentially, yeah. It's hard to say whether it's mind games or trying to sort of, you know, be friendly. Um, Crawford had her eyes on the title role in the 1945 film Mildred Pierce, but Warner Brothers had someone else in mind. Ooh, Ooh, David Duchovny. <laughs> oh. <laughs> one, one casting a child and one casting David Duchovny. <laughs> Who probably was a child at the time. Um, their first choice, Betty Davis, turned down the role. And it did eventually go to Crawford. Mm, that feels like a more of a Joan kind of movie. Yeah, and it happens a couple of times where Betty's the first choice and she turns down a role and then Joan gets it. So she's kind of getting her, sec- her sloppy seconds. Oof. Um, the film was a resounding critical and commercial success and earned Crawford the Academy Award for Best Actress yes. in a Leading Role. Her Team first Joan. and only Oscar. Okay, there you go. First and only, whatever. Isn't that great though? That is good. That's nice that she won that, but obviously it really belongs to Betty because she turned the role down. That's right. So that's Betty's role. That's Betty's Oscar. It's um yeah. It's in- in- interesting that Joan seems to be trying to be friendly, and uh, Betty, Patty Betty, is returning the gifts. Mm. Bit disappointing. Mm-hmm. Mm, all right, moaning Joaning. <laughs> kind of works. Hey, I'm having fun over here. <laughs> Maybe you should do a bit of the same, Patty. Guys, I hate it when you fight. Over things other than me. Fight over me. No, we are fighting over you. You're, you're Petard or whatever that guy's name was. Petard. Uh, Francho? Fran- Francho. Tone. Tone. Okay. That was way off. <laughs> Penchard. Uh, the success of Mildred Pierce revived Crawford's movie career. 
Uh, for several years, she starred in what were called a series of first-rate melodramas. So she it gives her a bit of a boost. In 1947, Crawford adopted two more children, who she named Cindy and Kathy. Uh, I've seen Cynthia somewhere else as well. She's got quite a few adopted children then. Yeah, so she's got four. Okay, four. The children were adopted. This is wild. Um, they were adopted from Tennessee Children's Home Society, an orphanage slash child trafficking unit operated by Georgia Tan, a source used by many childless Hollywood stars to adopt. Wait, what? Until Tan's discovery and death erupted in infamy in 1952. So it was like an orphanage, but it was a child trafficking thing that a bunch of Hollywood stars adopted kids from there. It was like the go-to place for Hollywood stars to adopt kids. Isn't that fucking crazy? Yeah, like when you say like when you say orphanage where Hollywood stars found their kids. Yeah. You go, "All right." But when you say slash child trafficking, yeah. It's like is that just really bad spin on what an orphanage is? <laughs> Or no, some bad, some some deeply unethical and, things. And was that on the sign? No, 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 no. It wasn't known until <laughs> later in the fifties. Yeah, right. Isn't Holy that shit! Fucking wild. I don't quite. I don't fully understand what's happened there, but well, it doesn't sound good. I didn't want to delve too deep into okay. it, but yeah, yeah it, it didn't yeah, sound shit. good. Oh god. Um. So that same year, the film Possessed was tailor made for Betty Davis, but she was on maternity leave. So Joan Crawford once again got Davis's leftovers, which I'm sure hurt her ego a little bit. But an Oscar nomination probably helped Crawford's ego. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, if I know Joan like I do, I think uh, I think she'd take that all uh, with a grain of salt. Do you reckon? Who, who every role is offered to someone first? Uh huh. Betty, she's the it girl right now, mm-hmm. but Joan's the it woman. That's right. In the long term. You know what I mean? Sure. Well, another way to look at it is uh, an oft-quoted line from uh, Betty Davis who said, Miss Crawford is a movie star and I am an actress. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. Love that. I like it as well because I think, you know, she means movie stars are put down. I reckon mm. Joan would probably be cool with that. They're like, fuck yeah. Yeah, I'm a movie star. Well, you know. <laughs> Pretty good. Betty, Betty's an artist. Yeah, she's know? starting to sound like a bit of a... Wanker. Sorry to use the W word there. <laughs> How dare you? Are you going to take that? No. Team Betty? Exactly. She's an artiste. Mm-hmm. She's passing over the sloppy seconds to your it woman. Yes. Who I like to call her shit woman. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> oh, oh. Dave. Is that a bit much? Sorry, is that too far? Too far. Sorry. I couldn't think of anything to say and I had to go hard. I don't and think I went you too did. Far. I apologize. You could just yeah. say, hey, Jess, do go on. <laughs> Yeah, Dave, don't go hard. You've got too many flops under the belt for that. (laughs) At the age of 39, Betty Davis gave birth to a daughter, Barbara Davis Sherry, known as BD. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, BD. BD. And later wrote in her memoir that she became absorbed in motherhood and considered ending her career. But as she continued making films, however, her relationship with her daughter BD began to deteriorate. There's a real diva move from her from her as well, from Wikipedia. Among the film roles offered to Davis following her return to filmmaking was Rose Sayer in The African Queen in 1951. When informed that the film was to be shot in Africa, Davis refused the part, telling Jack Warner, if you can't shoot the picture in a boat on the back lot, then I'm not interested. <laughs> and Catherine Hepburn played the role instead and was nominated for an Academy Award. I love it. She's like, ah, uh, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going anywhere. 
Another part of their rivalry and feud. Um, it's fine. So that's Bette Davis. Yeah. Who's the the actress? That's right. She's I'm like, not a movie star. I'm an actress. She's like I'm not. If you can't do it just on <laughs> the set, no way. So yeah, another big part was around the 1952 romantic drama The Star. It was written by Catherine Albert, who was a longtime friend of Joan Crawford until a falling out. And the film was about a washed-up actress clinging desperately to her fading stardom. Uh-oh. It was widely seen as a thinly-veiled depiction of Crawford. And who should play the lead role but Betty Davis? Wow, okay. That would hurt. <laughs> and she walked into a dressing room and said, I'm you. <laughs> <laughs> you suck. I don't know why you would think this role's about you. It's a different character called... Bone Dorford. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> yeah, BD. <laughs> it's about my daughter. It's about my daughter. That yeah. bitch. Betty, Betty's, yeah, having a uh, fuse with all, everyone. Everyone. Including your daughter. Jumping ahead to the early 60s, both women had worked pretty consistently in the decades prior, but roles for older women were less frequent and certainly less interesting. It was Crawford who convinced Davis to sign on to Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, the psychological horror story about a disabled former actress... Crawford, who is terrorised by her deranged sister, Davis, in their Hollywood home. Whoa. So she convinced her to come on and, and play this part and be in a film together. Who convinced who? Crawford. Convinced Betty. Yep. So Betty Davis agreed to sign on to Baby Jane on two conditions. One, that she played the title role of Jane and that the film, <laughs> and two, that the film's director, Robert Aldrich, assured her he was not sleeping with Crawford. <laughs> She said, it wasn't that I cared about his private life or hers either. I didn't want him favouring her with more (laughs) close-ups. Oh, wow. Now, that's what an actor would say. Yeah. A movie star, they don't care about counting close-ups. That's right. An actor does. An actor Because it's about the craft. Mm. That's right, yeah. Correct. (laughs) I want to play the title role. Uh, the title role is a baby. Okay. Yeah, and you're saying I can't do it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, baby Jane. <laughs> Thank you. It was on set of Baby Jane that the most legendary episodes in Davis and Crawford's feud took place. All right, I was thinking they were going to reconcile here. Here we go. When Crawford started sending little gifts and notes to the crew to win their affection, Davis sent her a note telling her to get off the crap. <laughs> She's like, stop sucking up to the crew. Get off the crap. She's essentially being like, like Crawford's being like sickly sweet and trying to really win everybody over and Betty Davis is like, you're so fucking fake. Shut up. It's so funny to, to you can interpret anything like that if you want to. Yeah. Oh, it's being real nice. What a jerk. Yeah. yeah. You don't mean that. <laughs> Both called the director nightly to complain about the other. Crawford was on Pepsi's board of directors at the time. Her late husband, Alfred Steele, was a Pepsi executive. So Betty Davis had a Coke machine installed in her dressing room just to spite her. It really feels like everything is <laughs> Betty being petty so far. And it, whatever Joan's about to do, I'm I'm with her. I reckon Betty's got it coming. I reckon let go of sides and just enjoy the petty stupidness because that's funny. The she's on the board of Pepsi, so she puts in a Coke vending machine. I like Coke. Dave that's might funny. Dave might find that funny. I don't. Well, I find funny. that offensive. <laughs> I'm absolutely on board and something that I would do. In one scene where Jane beats Crawford's character Blanche, Crawford requested a body double because she didn't trust Davis to not hurt her for real. (laughs) (laughs) She was reportedly proved right during a close-up in which a body double couldn't be used, where Davis hit her heart in the head. Oh, no, Betty. Some reports claim hard enough to require stitches, though Davis insisted she barely touched her. But Crawford got her payback. 
during the filming of another scene where Jane drags Blanche out of bed and across the room. Knowing that Davis had back problems, Crawford made herself as heavy as possible, either by filling her pockets with rocks, wearing a weightlifter's <laughs> belt, or simply making herself dead weight, depending on which report you believe, and deliberately ruined several takes, forcing Davis to drag her around again and again until she was in agony. <laughs> Matt, how do you feel about that? See, now finally Jonah's <laughs> stepping up and sticking up for herself. <laughs> She's been a shrinking violet for too long, if that's what the phrase is. And now she's finally saying, hey, Betty, if you're going to be like that to me, well, I'm going to, honestly, I'm going to ruin the rest of your life because um, back, so back pain is forever. It's and It's pretty full this is, this is actually awful. But you deserve it. Despite the drama and tension on set, the film was a huge success recouping its costs within 11 days of its nationwide release and reviving Davis and Crawford's careers. Great. I reckon this is the first one maybe that I've heard of. I don't know anything about it, but I reckon I've heard the the title. So that's something. (laughs) Betty Davis was nominated for an Academy Award for her performance, which, as you can imagine, Crawford took really, really well. Oh, Crawford not not nominated. No. Oh, dear. Uh, But I'm kidding because she contacted the other nominees to let them know that if they could not attend the ceremony, she'd be happy to accept the Oscar on their behalf. (laughs) And they all agreed. Oh, that is so good. Not that they were in on the pettiness, but they were all based on the East Coast. So it was, you know, they probably weren't going to be able to get there. And Joan Crawford was a, a legend. So yeah. it was She's probably like, yeah, an honour to a lot of them. I'd, I'd would, I would be delighted to take it for you. That is so funny. Isn't that funny? Oh. So both Davis and Crawford were backstage, Crawford having presented Best Director, when the absent Anne Bancroft was announced as the winner and Crawford accepted the award on her behalf. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Davis claimed for the rest of her life that Crawford had campaigned against her. Which Crawford, of course, denies. But fuck me. <laughs> that is ridiculous and very funny. Wanting to capitalise on the success of Baby Jane, Warner Brothers commissioned a spiritual sequel of sorts called Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. It was based on a short story by Henry Farrell, who wrote the novel the Baby Jane was based on, and would see Davis and Crawford reunite on screen as a different pair of women locked in a psychological warfare, again directed by Aldrich. So they're like, let's, come on, this has gone well. Let's, Get the dream team back let's together. Let's capitalise on it. Crawford dropped out after a week and a half of filming, claiming that she was unwell. She returned to Hollywood from set in Louisiana, and although Aldrich hired a private detective to track her down, Whoa. he wasn't able to get her back on set. And finally, the choice came down to recasting her role or cancelling the film altogether. After several actresses turned down the part, Olivia de Havilland was finally hired in Crawford's place. Crawford, who was devastated, said, I heard the news of my replacement over the radio lying in my hospital bed. I cried for nine hours. <laughs> Crawford... Uh, nursed grudges against Davis and Aldrich for the rest of her life, saying that Aldrich, he's a man who loves evil, horrendous, vile things. To which Aldrich replied, if the shoe fits, wear it, and I am very fond of Miss Crawford. So he's saying she's vile. Oh! oh, oh. Sassy! Was she hoping that they wouldn't recast? I guess so. That they'd just cancel? Yeah, but they're like, well, we've already started. Or wait for her, maybe? Maybe she was dreaming that they'd... They'd, you know, but was... I don't know that she was actually unwell. Right. Well, she was in a hospital bed weeping. So For you tell me hours. what that means. No, nine hours. I can't. I started a timer when I started That's crying. That's too long. I'm I'm starting to have a little fantasy where they're all in on this. They're all like, let's really give them a show. Yeah. You know, let's make this feel like 
it's something. But yeah. they're mates and they're laughing about it behind closed they're doors. They're like, now you, <laughs> yeah. you say something awful about me, you'll be funny. That would be nice. WWE style. Yeah, yeah. kayfabe. Finally, in 1977, the feud came to an end because one of them died. Oh, was the other one involved? No. At the reported age of 69, because remember, we don't know what year she was born, but nice. Is that why they rebranded so she could be 69? That's right. Joan Crawford had a heart attack and died in May of 1977. Um, There's a famous quote from Betty Davis, but no one has an actual source for it, but it's pretty sassy and a good burn, so it's worth mentioning. Said, you should never say anything bad about the dead. You should only say good. Joan Crawford is dead. Good. (laughs) (laughs) That can't be. Is that true? Is that full on? That's so amazingly full on. Zero class, Betty. And the shoe was on the other foot. Joan would have been very magnanimous. Yeah. I don't know if that is an appropriate word. It's probably appropriate. In her will, which was signed on October 28, 1976, Crawford bequeathed her two youngest children, Cindy and Kathy, $77,500 each from her $2 million estate. She explicitly disinherited her two eldest, Christina and Christopher, saying, it's my intention to make no provision herein for my son Christopher or my daughter Christina for reasons which are well known to them. Oh, they know what they did. They know what they did. They both challenged it and received like fifty-five grand each. The year after her death, her daughter Christina published a memoir and expose called Mummy Dearest, which contained allegations that Crawford was emotionally and physically abusive to Christina and her brother Christopher because she chose fame and her career over parenthood. Many of Crawford's friends and co-workers denounced the book, categorically denying any abuse. Others stated that she was like very strict and maybe had some questionable kind of behaviours, but nothing that full on. Um... The book was made into a film in 1981 starring Faye Dunaway as Crawford. And surprisingly, Betty Davis came to her enemy's defence following the publication of the book. She said, I was not Miss Crawford's biggest fan, but wisecracks to the contrary, I did and still do respect her talent. What she did not deserve was that detestable book written by her daughter. To do something like that to someone who saved you from the orphanage, foster homes, who knows what – if she didn't like the person who chose to be her mother, she was a grown up and could choose her own life. Don't love that last part, but it's interesting that she was kind of like, oh, that's a pretty crook thing to do. Mm. Davis went on to admit that she felt very sorry for Joan Crawford, but I knew she wouldn't appreciate my pity because that's the last thing she would have wanted, anyone being sorry for her, especially me. I can understand how hurt Miss Crawford had, had to be. It's like trying to imagine how I would feel if my own beloved, wonderful daughter, BD, were to write a bad book about me. Unimaginable. That last part is painfully ironic because in 1985, BD would indeed follow in Christina's footsteps and publish a book entitled My Mother's Keeper in which she described Davis as a selfish, emotionally abusive alcoholic. Whoa. Isn't that wild that she was like, I can't even imagine my daughter doing that. And then she did like it. She's, she's trying to, she's like, this is a message to BD. <laughs> Please don't do Please this. Don't. That would be wild. But was she, still, so she's still alive when this came out? Yeah. Uh, oh, so she lived to see it. Yes. Crueler. Public reaction was largely sympathetic towards Davis, uh, who, yeah, who was alive. Betty. Betty. Not BD. BD was also alive to write the book. Right, sorry, but I mean, but the sympathy was for sorry. Betty Davis rather than. BD's last name is now Hyman. Okay. So, um, yeah, Davis, I mean, Betty. So people are kind of like, that doesn't sound right. And um, lots of different people sort of, um, yeah, debunked it. Or Mike Wallace rebroadcast a 60 Minutes interview he'd filmed with BD a few years earlier 
in which she commended Davis on her skills as a mother and said she had adopted many of Davis's principles in raising her own children. Just a couple of years earlier, she was like, great mum, I'm trying to be like her as a mum. Not that, you know, you can change your mind. I'm, it's just, it's very interesting. Mm. Um, but BD's brother, uh, also adopted brother, disagreed so strongly with the book's publication that he disowned her, as did Betty Davis. Betty Davis disowned and disinherited her daughter over this. Betty died in 1989 from breast cancer at the age of 81. So very interesting how similar the ends of their lives were, Mm. their relationships with their children, very complex and complicated. Um, The feud between Joan Crawford and Betty Davis is depicted in a 1989 book called Betty and Joan, The Divine Feud. And in 2017, the first season of a TV series also called Feud, inspired by the book, uh, has Crawford played by Jessica Lange and Davis played by Susan Sarandon. And I've seen bits of it. I haven't watched the whole series, but it's it's really good. Um, so it's worth a little bit of a look. But, yeah, that is the lifelong feud between Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. Amazing. Two, it's, yeah, it's it's uh, it's funny to frame a, it's a, an episode about two of the great actors. Mm. But, yeah, it's so amazing how their lives have been tied together in this yeah. sort of negative, petty way. But, yeah, it was cool to hear uh, hear about the the highs and lows. Yeah. And I really liked how Betty talked about Joan in the end because that made mm. me think it's like it was a bit of a... It, it feels a, like it was a bit of a rivalry almost or... like the wrestling thing where yeah you know publicly we we stash and stuff but really it's a, it's built in respect yeah you know like in wrestling and there's theories like some people sort of have theories that Joan was like in love with Betty um, there's like yeah there's theories that that's kind of the basis of their relationship or, or lack thereof it's it's yeah it's kind of interesting I just thought. It's it's interesting because it's something a bit different to just a, a Hollywood biography, um, and yeah, just the the pettiness and stuff is is pretty funny. There's and some the, funny stuff and in the there. bettiness, the bettiness and the pettiness. Thank you, and the, the moaning jo- and the joning. And the joning. You can use that later. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Huh? Not bad. Notice you haven't used it much yet. <laughs> okay, it's still time. It's I'm still saving time. it. I'm saving it. There's still time. <laughs> Great report, Bob. I uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, now. It is time for everyone's favourite section of the show where we get to thank a few of our great supporters. Uh, these people have signed up to support us at patreon.com slash Pod. There's a bunch of different levels, all sorts of different uh, rewards and whatnot. What are some of them, Jess? You get to uh, get access to um, three bonus episodes a month. Over That's at right. Patreon. That's uh, right. And we've put out over 150 that you, as soon as you support us on that level, you get access to all of them. Yeah. You get access to um, uh, early access to tickets to live shows and also the Facebook group, which is the friendliest part of the internet. You also get voting rights. Yes. In uh, not only topics, but also the Golden Shiny Garys. Yes. Our Night of Nights. Mm. Uh, so if, uh, yeah, which uh, possibly the voting's open right now. Maybe. Should hopefully. You get to vote for your favorite episode of twenty twenty two. What will it be? Also favorite guests. Yeah. Uh, favorite favorite bonus episode. Favorite um report giver. Yep. And I'm starting my campaign today. Yeah. Vote for <gasps> me. Let's campaign. Yeah. Against Dave. Yeah, let it, Yeah, vote for them. Vote for them. Come on, I'm humble. Vote for them. <laughs> you're not humble. They you're not fooling anybody. Uh but one of the uh, other things you can get is 
to give us a fact quote or a question. If you sign up on the Sydney Scheinberg level, you get to do this. You also get to give yourself a title. I read these out for the first time when I read them out. And the first one this week comes from Mr. Justin McCain. He plays a silly, silly game. game. When all, all the, the kids, kids in the street, street they, they like to do the same. same. Boo! Uh, AKA the recluse. <laughs> and Justin has offered us a fact writing. Did you know if you took all the veins, arteries, and capillaries out of a person and laid them end to end, you'd be a lunatic and a murderer? <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> that is a good point. That is good. A beautiful fun fact there. Why do they ask me to do it? <laughs> Thank you very much, Justin. And the next one comes from Katie Clays, okay, coordinator of Awkward Moments. And oh, Dave? <laughs> yeah, just knocking my drink bottle into the microphone. That was awkward. Uh, Katie's asking a question writing, what is the best thing you have ever eaten? Ooh. Oh, dear God. Uh, like it will stick with you forever because of how wonderfully amazing oh, it was. Oh, that's so nice. And uh, as always, I encourage the question writers to give us an answer. And Katie has. Do you want to hear her answer? Yes, please. My answer, I made a toasted sandwich with Nutella, sliced strawberries, and dusted with icing sugar. I made it while breastfeeding, so I needed to up my calorie intake to Mm. cope with milk production. The human body is so odd, but now the sweet sandwich haunts my dreams. (laughs) Yum. Something like um, breastfeeding burns like 800 more calories or something. Really? Yeah, it's like because your body's working so hard to produce breast milk. That you're just burning through, so you got to eat more. No kidding. Yeah, it's fascinating. Really interesting. Anyway, um, that sounds I don't, delicious. Eight hundred calories doesn't mean anything to me because I don't really understand calories. Yeah, but still, it, really, it sounds like a lot. It's a fair amount of food. Yeah. Um. So it's pretty cool. Ah, oh, it's awesome. Do you have a have anything comes to mind? The, food? the things that sprung straight to mind. The first thing was um salted caramel cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory. Oh, so good. And secondly. Uh, that then sprung to my mind as well was Dole Whip. Dole Whip. Dole Whip. Oh, from Hawaii. Yeah. Pineapple whipped cream. Pineapple. Oh, it's like soft serve pineapple. Oh, my God. It was so – it was creamy but refreshing and I miss it every day. So that's probably it. That's probably my my best thing I've okay. ever eaten. Love it. I would say my single best flavor, my thing that I love, I can't get enough of, is Blue Costello Cheese. Hence me going, ooh, cheese, oh, yeah. blue. Do you, have you, like, is there a time where you ate it first that it really sticks with you or something? Oh, that's nice. Um, no, I can't remember the first ever time I had it. Hmm. But whenever I have it, I just think this, this is, the best thing. is the best flavor. Have you tried um, the Mercy Valley pickled onion cheese? No, but it sounds great. Holy shit, it's so good. It sounds so great. I love it so much. Matt, what's the best thing you've ever eaten? Uh, I, I'm struggling, like a lot of like nostalgic memories, mum's trifle, mm. dad's pasties. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the thing that, um, like a specific meal, and this is just a recent-ish memory, but the night before Dave and I came home, uh, from the UK, we went out to an Italian place mm. and had this handmade. Uh- Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com um, Pasta, I can't remember what kind it was, but you know, the f- filled up pasta. Yep. Not ravioli, but yeah, something like that. another name. It was similar to ravioli, wasn't it? Yeah, but tortellini. that was like the tortellini. That's mm-hmm. it. It was some version of tortellini. And it was, yeah, filled with pumpkin and it had like truffle oil or something which i've never really had yeah but it was um yeah it was really it was just i think it's just sometimes it's nice to be in a a restaurant yeah with that like cloth napkins yeah Mm. that was a sensational meal (laughs) sensational absolutely sensational and uh yeah finished it with some sort of a chocolate dessert oh yum oh the other thing i can think of is the first time i ever had turkey oh yeah christmas when i was about maybe 11 or 12 my uncle Gary had cooked it on the Weber, the barbecue in yeah. the backyard for like eight hours or something. Dave, you have up- an uncle Gary? Yeah, I've never mentioned my uncle Gary. What the, the fuck? fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I've been holding out on you. You knew a Gary this whole time? Yeah. First time you had turkey. And I remember I wasn't I was like, Oh, what is this sort of white meat? I don't mm. really you know, I was a bit sus of it, you know? Trying a new food. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll have a little piece of it. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> goodness. Where has this been oh, my whole great. life? That's so, nice. yeah. And then drowning it in gravy, like, could not get enough. Yeah. It does sound good. Yeah. I don't think I ever had turkey. I only mm-hmm. ever have it really at Christmas on the occasional yeah. sandwich or something. But, like, the roast sliced turkey, that's a Christmas. And oh, I still hang out for it. Yum. Mm. I had a similar thing with avocado. I'm like, always, I'm like, I don't, this is look, doesn't look good. And then I had a, when I was a trolley boy at the mm. supermarket, had a, bought a six pack of these BAP rolls, had avocado, cheese, and sliced tomatoes, oh. and, and black pepper, oh, ground black yeah. pepper. It was so good. And yeah. you were like, I'll just give this a try. Yeah. And I'm like, I think I ate the whole six pack <laughs> of rolls probably. How many times did you vomit at that job? Because remember the time <laughs> you had two <laughs> liters of chocolate milk? <laughs> That's the only time I vomited. All right. Was it chocolate or was it strawberry? It was chocolate. chocolate. Oh, so because I I used to I used to have awful thing. I'd have a buy a three pack of Mars bars and eat that in a fifteen minute break. Yeah, fifteen minutes. <laughs> or six pack of iced donuts. Yeah. I just I'm like, what am I doing? I used to, there were times where there weren't donuts. I'd buy like a tea cake and just <laughs> just eat a cake. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not laughing at you. <laughs> no, I'm laughing with you because I was thinking the other day about the shit I used to eat or be able to eat and feel fine. Yeah, and yeah. Now I'm like, if I ate more than one piece of cake, my stomach hurts for days. <laughs> oh no! I hate to be old. It's <laughs> so funny. It used to be yeah, indestructible, but you when know. I was doing the overnight shifts at Triple J, early on, I would be taking a box of shapes. Some like a gingerbread man or something, like something 
sweet cake and like a, a Red Bull or a V yeah. or something. And I'm like, perfect. I think that was the big difference when I used to be oh. yeah, be able to handle drinking energy drinks yeah. and they didn't just taste like you're, you're, like you're rotting. You Like it feels now like oh. it tastes a like a chemical. That, it feels like a chemical yeah. burning like you once you're gone. Yeah. Disappearing. <laughs> We're so old. Now I'm like, okay, now I need a bit of protein. So I'm going to take a protein snack with me. I'll take some carrots. <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's so funny. So no, I'm I'm laughing with you because I would have done the same thing. I'm just well, there's no donuts. I'll just get a cake. <laughs> I mean, it'd be rude not to finish it. I'm not it. an idiot. But they got 15 minutes. What can I shove in my gob quickly? That's so great. Yeah, it's also the age of being, you know, just starting to be able to buy your own food yeah. and stuff, and you're not you're probably not responsible no enough. No way. Mum would never send you to school with a cake. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Uh, the thank you for that question, Katie. Loved it. Uh, next one comes from Roy Phillips, aka Manager Major of the Imaginary Menagerie. Ooh, Ooh. that's fun. Thank you, Roy. You did well there. Jeez, wow. Yeah, it was like brain goes a bit fuzzy when I read those ones. <laughs> so, whoa, what a rush! That is a real rush. <laughs> Roy has a question as well, writing. Is there something you guys are obsessively, aimly retentive over? And uh, Roy also answers the question if you're... Yeah, okay. give us Roy's answer. Uh, for me, I have this thing where the switches on plug sockets have to be all turned off when not in use. Sounds silly, but the amount of people that unplug their phone without switching the plug off winds me up no end. Mm. I guess this might be a UK-specific problem. No, that... That'd be the same thing here. Same maybe. thing here. I uh, love seeing Matt and Dave in London. Great to meet you both. Jess, hopefully get to meet you soon too. I thought, I was thinking that because I remember- We met Roy. Roy came up and he said, I'm the tongue twister guy. <laughs> yeah, that was really fun. That's great. That's cool. And we reenacted the rush that he oh gave you a couple Oh my God, that was so funny. Jess, you, losing his mind. you've obviously got uh, numbers. True, yes, that does bother me. I do like I do like rounded numbers. It doesn't, it doesn't impact me too much day to day. I guess I don't know. I'm big. That's oh, a classic one. I'm big on the um, volume being in groups of five. Oh yeah, yep, that's fair. Um, I I I will change the like if the toilet roll is the wrong way, I will change it. I don't care if I'm at somebody else's house right. or out in public. Too. I but will which change way? it. So is the is it the new piece over the, over the top to the front? So rather than dragging against the wall. Correct. Correct. Thank goodness. And yeah. somebody You'll never have that problem in my house. We've talked about this before and somebody did email us and uh, they had like a diagram and an official thing and, and that is the correct way. Thank goodness for that. Oh, so, there you go. I don't think I could tell you. I just something I wouldn't notice because a gentleman. Yeah, why would you need it? Yeah, why would you? worry about that sort of stuff. But um, I, You must save so much money on toilet paper. I was thinking um, what something I do and it, I think it's out of habit as more than being anally retentive or anything. But if I buy something at a supermarket, I'll, I'll without thinking, I'll face up the shelf. Yeah, that's so, just from your training. I think it's just, yeah, just, <laughs> it's just like, you just, never forget. <laughs> but I also, I think it's also like, I, I'm aware of someone's got to do that. Yeah. Uh, although, but sometimes they want it, you know, if they're going to fill the shelf, they want it all pushed back. But I think, I yeah, so. I don't know, just instinctively, I always. You'll tidy it up. I'll pull a, if I take for, a milk, I'll pull one For example, you just knocked forward. two bottles over, you pick them up straight away. I did do that, yeah. yeah. Wow. I don't, I don't know if that's a good example of, of what the question is or not. My but. automatic one is I lock the door, the front door at home and the back door. Even if we've got, say, there's a tradie in the backyard, 
You gone, lock him out. Have, yeah, a few times they're knocking on the door. I'm like, oh, sorry, I just lock it. I don't even think about it. Yeah, I just go, right. sliding door, lock, lock. up. Yep. I'm like, oh, and it's happened like with the same person twice in the one visit. Sorry again, sorry. That's Forgot. funny. I think we've slipped into a slightly different thing. It's sort of the same, but Roy's saying it annoys him if it doesn't do it. And we're, these are things we do without thinking about oh, them. Oh, yeah, like, okay. Um, I another think- one that I do, like, which you've, you always talk about, Dave, is I always... If I li- when I open a can, I always move the can tab to mm. the right side, and that's something I think I got off my old man. I used to do it to the left, and he used to always do it because of his mustache. He's like, it, it means it doesn't get called my mustache huh. as much. And then when I was an adult, I said, oh, I, I've ended up doing this. I always do this because you do it always to the left. He said, No, no, always to the right side, the right side of the father. <laughs> like it was a, <laughs> a religious thing. And he cheers to you. <laughs> yeah. I love Your it. Your dad is the best. I find that very, very funny. Um, maybe uh, quite retentive about pushing chairs back in at a table. Oh, oh yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. I, I do actually hate that. When, when, when people, people stand don't. up and they leave it all the way back, I, I go, oh, no, no. I was at my Tuck friend, it back in. Tuck it in. I was so at my that's friend's house yep. the other day and we were having like breakfast and her husband came, sat down, joined us, and then he went back to work. He was working in the study. He left his chair out. It's at his house. And I'm like carrying their baby. <laughs> Walking around, putting my chair in, sighing as I push his chair in at his own house. I was like, son of a bitch. i got to pull your chair yeah, in. Unbelievable. On, it's like, I like him out. Oh, oh you okay. like him out, do you? No, you don't. <laughs> no one likes no them one out. Likes you stop it, you animal. I think I do the bit with uh, at restaurants or cafes where I'll take my empties back to the... Oh, yep. And I think sometimes I don't realise I'm doing it until I'm... There and I'm like, they don't. they don't. I'm not. This isn't helping them. No. I'm putting it up on the bench where it's just like already crying. I'm like, sorry, sorry, is this? I'm trying to help. <laughs> sorry, is that? Thank you very much for that question, uh, Roy. The final one this week comes from Gaddy J from the UK, UK uh, whose title is "You're a <laughs> Oh." <laughs> you don't read them till you read them. Want to give want to give some context there, man? You fucking gotcha. I did. I I think I said that to him on stage when we were in Birmingham. That's right. We did a bit of our, our famous crowd work, and uh, you went him, knowing that he's a a frequent, a good listener of the show that we've met many times. So it would go. But down I also, go. yeah. But I, yeah. I got. I've Dave and I will sometimes will do this thing where we um, escalate being rude to the audience, or uh-huh. I will. But I did the I did the escalated one first accidentally. Right. So I had nowhere to go. Yeah. And Dave's like, "Well, you've really got to, you got to." So I'm like, "Don't make me anyway." And that's why that's what you'll never see at a do go on show if I'm there. Commitment. (laughs) Commitment to a bit. Is that what you mean? No. No. Being rude. Oh, being rude. Mm, Yeah. Come on. Come on. Having a go at people. Yeah. No. You're being unprofessional. I'm a sweetie. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm a cutie pie and a sweetheart. That's what I was trying to say. Okay. No. Sorry. I understand now. Committing to a bit. Yeah. You certainly don't do that either. No, I do do that. When have you ever done that? I always do that. Our entire friendship is a bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gary's got a quote. He writes, I'm just heading out of the Birmingham show for Who Knew It and the stand-up show, and I just want to set the record straight. I'm so glad I sat at the front and got questioned about my favourite fruit, which was a banana, but there's more. I don't remember that bit. Were you asking him about his favourite fruit at some point? No. Uh, I was so happy. It's so bad how bad our memories are. But I was so happy to be seeing the boys. Me and my wife arrived early, <laughs> waiting in the rain at the front of the queue to get some good seats. And we did, front and centre. We saw some great quizzing 
even though the house cheated a bit. What? I don't remember that. Then the stand-up was about to start. What I'd been waiting for. There was me (laughs) sitting there all excited, Matt and Dave doing some great crowd work, and Matt seeing me with a big smile on my face, thought he'd involve me in it. He asked me what I do for work. Before I could answer, he attacked me. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like like a deposition to court or something. Uh, And said, you're a beep. Wow. C word. We don't say the C word. We don't say that. He said you're a (laughs) Um, So that's my quote. It was all just a bit of fun. Thanks for coming over. I hope the rest of the tour is going well and you both enjoyed your early Krishmish presence. Sorry for any spelling or grammar mistakes. Hey, you never apologize. You look here, Gary J. Gary, look at me. Look at me. Look at Jess, Gary. You never apologize. You never apologize. Please. We love you, Gary. Thank you so much to Gary, Roy, Katie, and Justin. Uh, the next thing we like to do is uh, shout out to a few of our other great supporters. Jess normally comes up with a game based on the topic at mm. hand. What are you thinking this time? Um, who their lifelong feud is with. Oh, oh, fun. Every time I've said feud, I have felt like I'm saying it wrong. Feud. Every single time today. Really? Interesting. I've read the word feud, I've said feud, and I've gone, is that right? But that Every is right, isn't time. it? Every time. Feud. Family yeah. feud. Family feud. Still, just felt wrong. Anyway, yeah, who their lifelong feud is with. All right, if I can kick us off, I'd love to thank from Chicago, Illinois, the Windy City, right mm-hmm. near Gary, Indiana. It's yep. Miller Jamison. The wind. Oh, oh feuding that- with the wind. <laughs> Good luck, Miller. Yeah. That's a tough, yeah. tough opponent. I've been around for all of the wind's life. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, honestly, great guy. Great guy. Right. But <laughs> dogged. Dogged. You don't want to beef with the wind, Miller. Um, right. Look, it's up to you. Okay. But yeah. I would say, you know, <laughs> bow out. Honestly, yeah. I would bow out. I'd be sending some flowers. Yeah. So. Yeah, and there'd be no shame in that. That's there okay. would be no, no shame, shame in that. that. The wind can mess you up. Yeah. yeah. Wind is full yeah. on. Say goodbye to a good hair day. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> thank you very much, Miller. I'd also love to thank from Chiswick. I hope that's how you say it. In Great Britain, it's Matt Gillespie. Chiswick. Matt Gillespie. Well, I'm not going to read it out, Matt, but I think your email is awesome. Uh, Matt Gillespie, who's uh, feuding with Will Smith. Oh. Whoa. And he is an, also an opponent you don't want to mess with. That's right. Yeah. He's not afraid to... You know, tell you what he thinks or act on his emotions. That's right. That's right. So, Matt Gillespie, I um, I would back off. Yeah, for sure. I'd get some security. <laughs> I, love, I love that fresh reference. <laughs> <laughs> it's just old enough that people are like, when did they record this? <laughs> well, he was back in the news at the week of recording. Oh, was it? What mm. happened? Uh, he did his first uh, interview post. Oh. He was on one of the Tonight shows. Right. Starting his uh, his. Sort of sorry campaign. Sorry he's, he's got a new movie out. Right. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, that's tough. Um, but Matt Gillespie, I back you all the way. You could take down Will Smith. I'd also love to thank from Gloucester in Great Britain, it is Keith Fairburn, who's come over from the Dugan website. Appreciate your support, Keith. Thanks for making the jump across. Keith Fairburn. Uh, he is feuding with one of the oldest... Um, Boxers in the world. Oh. I don't know his name. Okay. But if you look up Guinness World Records oldest boxer, that's who Keith 
coldest boxer. Is this someone that you're imagining or you're just hoping that someone comes up? I'm just hoping someone comes up. I started a sentence. I didn't know where I was going to end. Okay, great. You get you. Stephen Ward. Oh, don't mess with Wardy. Keith Fairburn and Stephen Ward. It's the you know the House of Stoush. It's an English former professional boxer, notable for having held the accolade for being the oldest professional boxer in the world. Yeah. So honestly, Keith, it's not too late to back (laughs) out. I'm looking at Steve Ward's boxing record: wins, fifteen; losses, (laughs) forty-one. Okay, Steve. It didn't say oldest really good boxer in the world. <laughs> oh, you keep at it, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon you're going to come good. <laughs> Do you want to thank a few, Bopper? I would love to. I would love to thank from Mesa, Arizona. Is he he's Arizona? Yeah. Uh, I would love to thank Zach Vernon. Zach Vernon. Zach Vernon. Okay, feuding with... Um, okay. Who, who am I thinking of? Slash. Slash, Slash from Guns N' Roses. And... <laughs> Is that, that's, yeah. That's, yeah, that's absolutely. Slashes. <laughs> a lot of slashes. Exactly. Did you make fun of Slash's hat? Yeah. Oh, man, you said never not, make fun of that. He said, hat. <laughs> Slash. Slash. Slash clapped back. You do not. Yeah. Make fun of Slash. But you know his nickname is Slash because he slashes people. Really? That's not true. I know. But because um, he, he is always the first to break the seal. Yeah, yeah. he loves to piss. Have a slash. A beautiful, uh, beautiful language we have there. Good on you, Zach. Thank you, Zach. I would also have to thank from Los Angeles, uh, Eric Morales. Who is uh, opponent or feuding with Taylor Swift. Whoa! Again, Uh-oh. you do not want to feud with Taylor Swift. No, You're going to have an mistake. album written about you, yeah. and it is going to be scathing. The Swifties are going to be on your ass. Yes. You do not Uh-oh. want Swifties on or around or up your ass. <laughs> no. Certainly not up. Certainly not up. You are in big strife, Eric. Eric. But I back you. I back but you. But I back you. But, geez, Louise, not publicly. Because the yeah, well, Swifties well, well. will come for me. No, we don't want yeah. them up our asses. I don't want them up my ass either. Those Swifties. Those Swifties God, will do can't it. Can't get them out. Um, so good luck to you, Eric. You're on your own. <laughs> no, I'm with you, Eric. I'll back you publicly. Really? Yeah, the Swifties Matt, can come for me too. I don't think that's a good idea because then they'll come for the podcast as well. Oh, yeah, okay. Sorry, Eric. And then Dave and I own. will be on the street. Oh. Is that what you want? Don't do it to us. You're our pod dad. That is what... That is what Swift fans do they they put people on the street? They, do. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't stop until you are it's on the crazy. streets. I would finally love to thank from Belmont, New South Wales, Michaela McRae. Michaela McRae. M Ms. Feuding with M Ms. No, they are powerful. I know. Which ones? Green one. Green, Green one. one. Oh, all of them. Oh, Yellow one. Oh, not the brown one. No, not the brown one, okay. actually. They're not cool. the plain one. But the plain one is not really able to sway the others to forgive Michaela. So, I believe Michaela McRae w- uh, wrote the first ever question on who knew it on wow. episode one. Hmm. Are you going to send us some sort of Guinness Book of Records certificate? What a title. Yeah. I imagine I would fact Michaela check that for is very proud. Yeah, it should be, should be on your LinkedIn, Michaela. Pop that on there. Dave, do you want to thank some people? Yes, I'd love to thank from Mildura in Victoria. It's Jackie Gillen. Jackie Gillen, of course. <laughs> a lifelong feud with the Murray River. Oh, oh yeah. no. The Mighty Murray. The Mighty Murray. You're like, oh, how long could it be? <laughs> Tracing it all the way from Mildura down. Jesus, this thing's long. It's so fucking long. Shit. I've spent a lot Can't of time. Can't get away from it. Spent a lot of time in my youth in Mildura on that Mighty Murray. All right. Never saw Jackie there, though. Because of the feud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She will not go anywhere near it. Won't do it. If it ever went near it, it would be back to it. 
and cr- arms folded yeah. and humph. making a hump. Yeah, and maybe like <laughs> flipping it off. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Not sorry. Sorry, I didn't see you there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whatever. Whenever no one likes you. Good on you, Jackie. I'd like to thank now. That's from- why she lives in Mildura, because the Mari's in New South Wales. And she would never live in a state that had that dirty water flowing through it. Victoria is Murray free. Is that right? Yeah. There you go. You know, the Murray's in New South Wales. It's like, yeah, they own the river. Right. Yeah, well, they're welcome to it. Yeah. <laughs> as far as Jackie's concerned. Yeah. We don't need it. I want to clarify, I quite like the Murray. Oh, I love the Murray. Again, beautiful had river. some really beautiful memories but on the Murray. I back my friends. I back Jackie here. Okay. Me too. Uh, yeah, I support Jackie's feud, but I will still partake in activities on the Murray. Well, I'm happy to give up my summer for Jackie. <laughs> Just saying. Wow. wow. Just putting it out there. <laughs> I'd like to thank now from Stockholm in Sweden, Jonah Haglund. Oh, Jonah Haglund. Uh Jonah or Jonah? Would it be a soft J? In Maybe Sweden? could be Jonah Haglund. I'll just have that as an attempt. As well. <laughs> On the record, there. On the record, Jonah. Yeah. Uh, I think they are having a feud with bees. Whoa! No, you are outnumbered <laughs> in a big way. Yeah, there are. Quite, I mean, less than they used That's to be, right. but there are still. <laughs> That's right. The good a news is they bees. are dying, thankfully. <laughs> I don't think anyone's put it in those terms before. What, Joan has? Oh, yes. The good news is the bees are dying. Thank goodness. <laughs> Someone worry, clip Jonah. that out. Hang in there. You will, you know, they will be extinct soon. <laughs> but isn't that, doesn't that mean we all will be? Is yeah. That- it's, that's exactly what a bee does, doesn't it? It kills itself oh, whilst it, kills, it attacks you. Yeah, the so, stinger. So, how do you feel about that bee? Yeah. Hmm? Hmm? You're going down? Well, I'm taking you with me. <laughs> um... So, Anya, <laughs> Yona, Jonah, I would like to thank now from, finally, Melbourne in Victoria. It's Beautiful Melbourne. Story. Melbourne. So sorry. I was Hometown that hero. I would like to thank uh, a big thank you. Thank a big thank you to Zaelia Nolte. Ooh. Or Zaelia, probably Zaelia Nolte. Zaelia Nolte. Fantastic. Beautiful. Fantastic. Uh, Zalia is feuding with Metallica. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Past and present members. Lars has, he said some things that he should regret. Okay. He doesn't, but he should. <laughs> and uh, if he doesn't yet, he will soon. Wow. Yeah, because uh, Zalia is coming for him. Oh. I'm Lars Ulrich. <laughs> <laughs> Can we have a bit more from Lars? Hey, I'm Lars Ulrich. I'm the... <laughs> No, you're nailing You're it. the... I'm the drummer from Metallica. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Where wow. did that go? Lars in the house. Uh, thanks so much to <laughs> Zalia, Yona, Jackie, Michaelia, Eric, Zach, Keith, Matt and Myla, or Miller. And uh, the last thing we like to do is welcome a few people into our Triptych Club. Mm. Now, this is a club for people who have been a supporter of ours on the shout-out level or above for three straight years. And uh, once we welcome you in, you're in for life, if you want to be, or either way. And uh, <laughs> normally 
Dave, uh, what else do I say here? (laughs) (laughs) I've I've booked a band. (laughs) So this is a bit of a a theatre of the mind type thing, a clubhouse for people that have been supporting the shows for three plus years. That's right. I'm on the door. I've got the names. I think there's two names this week. I'm going to read them out. I'm Mm -hmm. going to lift up the velvet rope, welcome you in. Dave's up on the stage with Jess, Mm -hmm. and he's your hype man. Everyone else who's already in there is chanting your name. Dave will hype you up. He's getting them into a lather. Uh, and then after the show, please hang around. Mm-hmm. Jess is behind the bar. You've got a cocktail or a drink or something tonight? Of course, darling. It's oh. 1920s <laughs> themed. We're all wearing flapper dresses. I've got some moonshine, cigars. You're going to be a star. I'm looking forward to this. Is that enough for you? I don't know how to, like. Yeah, that was yeah, great. That's, that was, I We've got fancy. champagne and those little crook glasses. They're real cute and fancy. Oh, this oh. is awesome. We've got a cigarette and a long stick. <laughs> oh, they're fun. Yeah. This is so good. Hmm. Funny lady will be there. <laughs> Funny lady will be there. Wow, what a get. <laughs> Dave, and you normally book a band for the after show. Do you have someone oh, there? She's not funny, but she is a lady, and that is Kim Carnes is going to be Whoa. there. Yes. Can you believe that? I can. Performing her hits, including Draw of the Cards, Does It Make You Remember, Crazy in the Night, in brackets, Barking at Aeroplanes, Make, <laughs> <laughs> Make No Mistake, He's Mine, and with Barbara Streisand, What About Me? Oh, that's with Kenny Rogers. So sorry. Uh, but she will not be performing the Betty Davis Eyes oh. track. Hi. Until her encore, oh. she'll be bringing it out. So Whew. don't you worry about that'd that. That'd be a real deal breaker. <laughs> yeah, that'd be so. disappointing. Just oh. play, play the song. All right, Dave, you ready to hype up our inductees? Yes. All right, here Ooh, we go. So that wasn't convincing. First, try, hang on, try okay. again. Dave, are you ready to hype up our inductees? Would the answer, hell yeah, be a satisfactory? It's still not the right kind of vibe. Yeah, baby! Yeah, there it is. All right, Matt, go All right, it. from Leichhardt in New South Wales, Australia, it's Jessica Gillett-Sheetha. Pass the Gillett-Sheetha to the left-hand <laughs> side. <laughs> Matt, if you don't think that's fantastic, fuck you. But it's... D- d- how is that? And Sheetha fr- almost rhymes with reefer. Yeah. But it's not. That's not what the lyric is. It's past the duchy. <laughs> oh yeah. All right, Jess, come on. Don't take back that high five. That I was great. That keep was the, great. And keep from the energy going. McMurray in Alberta, Canada, maybe. But in Canada, I reckon it's Michael Luchisano. Michael fought McMurray, and McMurray won. Yes. Wait, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Was gonna be, let's go again. Let's go again. Michael Ford McMurray and Luchisano won. Okay, that was going to be. I thought I'd do some music. The hot man's bringing you in on a defeat. Yeah. Uh, welcome into the club, Michael. Hey, you got to own your losses, Michael. You'll be back. What about our Steve Ward? Take he lost forty-one boxing boxing matches. He's still fighting at sixty-five. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. <laughs> Jess, is there anything we need to tell people before we go? Oh, just that we're sorry. Um, <laughs> and that if you have a topic in mind that you think would make for a fun report, you can suggest it. You don't have to be a supporter on Patreon to suggest a topic. Um, there's a link in the show notes and also on our website, dogoonpod.com, where you can also find merch, info about live shows, and anything else do go on related. You can find <laughs> us at dogoonpod across all social media. Um, and Dave, boot at home. Hey, we'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, we'll say thank you so much for listening. And until then, goodbye. Later. Bye. I've already forgotten my new catchphrase. Bye. <laughs>